There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Can't explain how this podcast is making me feel. This cruising overdrive and tides behind the steering wheel. Maybe if you're lucky, Mike, you'll take one of you to Pound Town, or at least read it on the podcast. I've already gone through one beverage, guys. I only brought two in. I usually have three at all times. I- well, unfortunately, we can't delay or take breaks to get more drinks at this point forward. Yes, Mikey is such a dick when he <laughs> he like demands that his time feel more valuable than everyone else's. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to go save a life. Oh, there's a hostage situation downtown. I have to go help that. There was no hostage. He just shot at police. Oh, okay. We're not going out of the house. Okay. But also, why have a job like this if I can't high road you with it? (laughs) That is the point. Yeah. If I'm not constantly propping myself up, then why do it? I have a Diet Mountain Dew. I'm ready to go. You know what? I got a fucking vitamin water, oh, which I've not had since I was in high school. Dear sweet Jesus. <laughs> Are you saying this is the first vitamin water you've had since high school? In the 2020s? Easily. She doesn't know the joke. I'm glad we're not in the episode yet. Nope, too late. Oh, this is all being recorded. The uh, fact that she doesn't know the joke is what makes it funny to me. I know. Debra, I, I have a picture I need to share with you. Do you have the picture? Of course we have the picture, Mikey. We keep it ready at all times. If you are going to keep my uh, side-by-side comparison of Pee Wee Herman on Buffy, we are going to keep yes. the vitamin water picture, Mikey. I'd like to see it. <laughs> Devry over here, eye on the prize. I'd like to see it. My face is getting closer and closer to the camera. I'm like, let's you stop may- talking. Where are the goods? You may want to step back a little bit from the camera. Actually, lean closer. Close your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so a few years ago uh, at Halloween, Mikey dressed as Wreck-It Ralph. And unfortunately, the fabric of the costume was... Um, let's just say clingy. Clingy. There you go. Mm-hmm. Like we would have gotten probably sent home on Project Runway for our fabric choice. <laughs> oh, oh, definitely. Yeah. Got yeah. it. I don't get that reference. Good. 
How's it feel? Mikey, I will ask your permission first. Sure, that's fine. Wait, Paige, you need to talk, so it brings it up. We refer to this lovingly as the vitamin water. <laughs> I can't believe you showed her the actual photo, Paige. Too I thought late. you were going to show the one Photoshop with the vitamin water over the biggest bulge I've seen outside of pornography. That's incredible. I have photoshopped vitamin water over it. I've photoshopped comically large censored blocks over it. It's one of my favorite photos to photoshop, honestly. I mean, if you're going to have a hobby. Use your hobby to celebrate your friend's hoggy. There you go. Well, unfortunately, there's been another emergency. I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's start recording. <laughs> Wait, should we do a, and joining us today is, and then have you say your name, Devry? Oh, Todd, I think you should give it your best shot. Oh. Devry is how you say it. Devry. I'm only going to fuck that up two dozen times in the next 20 minutes. And she'll correct you every time. We have a deal. Yeah. Miss Donaldson. Nope. That's my, that's my father. Please call me Debbie. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Romancing the Pod. You had us at hello. I'm Paige Wesley. I'm Mikey Randolph. And I'm Todd Schlosser. And joining us today is Devery Donaldson, author of Yay! You're Gonna Die Alone and other excellent news. Thank you for joining us. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad to be here. Todd, you really you really landed that. Well done on the intro. You really I would it. like to set up that I'm a buffoon and then, you know, deliver on that expectation. So Thank you so much for joining us today. He actually messed it up. He just edited the good version in. Like, no one oh, knows that's the not truth. Fair. That is not there because I actually <laughs> did nail that, surprisingly. That was my voice, AI'd. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Todd, good job. You did it. Yeah. You'll never be able to prove the truth, Todd. I guess that's fair. But, Mikey, you chose that we would do Devery's favorite well, yeah. movie of all time. It's your favorite movie of all yeah, time. Yeah, love that. Luna, baby. This is my favorite movie. Okay. Yes. That's a choice. That is a choice, and I am here to respect it. I cannot wait to invite you into the ring, Mikey. Mono mono, blow for blow. We are discussing this film. I'm not, I'm not saying I disliked it. I'm excited. I had never seen it before. Yeah, none of us had ever seen it before. This is the first time for everyone wow. but you, Devery. Yeah. Happy birthday. It's the first day of your life. Whenever you yes. saw that film, is when it began. 100%. So let me ask, Devery, when was the first time you saw this movie since it was all our first time tonight? Uh, I don't remember because that's when time began. I, I really just don't recall mm -hmm. because it's both of my grandmother's favorite movies. Of course it would be. Yes. Uh. Of course it would be. I don't think it's my mom's favorite movie. So it was one of those. It skips a generation. Well, it's right. because she rebelled against Moonstruck and then you to rebel against your mother's rebelling against Moonstruck got super fucking into it. And she always hated you for it, Devery. <laughs> Jesus God. Christ. She'll probably listen to this, so I'm going to go ahead and say no comment. But your anthropological observations, as always, are key, my friend. The circle of life doth persist, and thus I became a moonstruckian, a moonstrucker, yeah. if you will. Well, I'll say this. I feel like I got moonstruck tonight, and I loved this movie because it is like... So it's much so fun and it's super <laughs> silly. I love like it. I got to watch Nicolas Cage yell gibberish for like 50 full on minutes in this movie. <laughs> Not just Nicolas Cage, 23 year old Nicolas Cage, pre flippers, plume yep. of chest hair, just simply tumbling forth from his oh, yes. little undershirt. Oh, just proving to America that he is Francis Ford Coppola's nephew. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like that level of performance. Yeah, nepotism. It's not that bad. His hand, Johnny has his hand. Jo that <laughs> monologue 
Oh my God. I could teach a class on that monologue. That's when I came around. That's when I, I was like, okay, I'm in this. I'm in this there film. There you go. Yeah. Share one best actress. I think this yes. movie takes place in a world where mental health as a concept does not exist. It's like a world where <laughs> mental health as a concept is so interwoven with the other like highs and joys of life that they just pass through the complete breadth of being human in a single scene. And you're like, <laughs> and they just do it over and over. They're like, what do you think? I was like, it's good, but like therapy doesn't exist in this moonstruck world no <laughs> well no because when i try to pitch people are like what's this movie about i don't say well nick cage and Sh i say this movie is kind of like if my big fat greek wedding was set in the 80s in new york with italians and some of them but you're not sure who from scene to scene are on cocaine that is yep. what this movie is okay. yeah no that's that's a really good representation of this yeah yes and then their their interest is peaked so then you say and then there's these little vignettes of heart and they just tell you something very true about life yes. and as it's you're reeling yes you're reeling like what just happened to me they're gonna bring Nicolas Cage in to scream something unintelligible and and bring you right back with a wooden hand yep he literally flips a table Dude. what more could you want and says son of a bitch and then just carries her into the bedroom she says what are you doing flip son of a bitch <laughs> this conversation between them where it's the weirdest most unhinged like artistically metaphor it's like the very peak of a Shonda Rhimes monologue, but it's just yes. peak after peak that they're throwing at each other. That is my dream romantic encounter. Oh my God. Oh my <laughs> Where God. You're just like, I think this makes sense. I can't be sure. I'm going with it. No, that monologue is like borderline psychosis, and then they end up having sex. I don't know it's if amazing. that's anyone's dream romantic relationship. Honestly, they have such a weird amount of chemistry. I like, I can't argue with it. I don't know what's going on, but I can't argue with it. It's not normal chemistry. It no. is very weird. Yes. No, it's abnormal brain chemistry. <laughs> it's a disorder. <laughs> Someone's got to get on Latuda in this scene or it's not going to work out. I like the movie, but if you guys don't think anyone in this room oh, is like normal, no. it's like oh, not no, good. No, no, no. Mikey, no, it's crazy. But like, this is the scene where I stopped thinking of his hand as like an anecdote and really started wondering how he used the hand. You know what I'm saying? Like when he lifted her up and they started walking to the bathroom, I was like, there's no way that's not incorporated somehow. Baking is a very dangerous job. And they like, they try to cool him up as much as they can in that introduction. But these two have come down to me pretty hard, Debbie, on, on partners who cheat. And then they've hated all the movies where that happens. And for them to both be a 180 on this, because we have a guest, is 100% bullshit. And I hate that. Oh, you think you think they're <laughs> behaving well in front of the, the neighbors? Uh-huh. 110%. This is like when mom was yelling at you and then the phone <laughs> rings and she answers it and stops yelling. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, wait. I have something to say about this because you know the Pina Colada song? If you like Pina Colada. Yes. I literally love that song because these two people are so well suited for each other that when they both tried to cheat in the most elaborate way and walked in and, and realized they just went, oh, it's you. And then started drinking champagne. Mm -hmm. I'm like, they're soulmates. I love it. This is the same, the final scene and we'll get there, I know. But when it goes from like boop to boop to boop to will you marry mm -hmm. me? I'm like, that's, this family, everybody here 
fits so well. This is love. Dude, when people kept showing up that morning for breakfast, like for (laughs) no reason. It's very Italian. Like they were expecting just Johnny and then Ronnie shows up and then the aunt and uncle show up. I loved it. And then when the aunt was like, what are we doing here? And she's like, we're waiting for Johnny. Love that shit. It reminded me so much of my grandmother's house growing up where we would get like dropped off for the day and the people just show up all day. No plans. They just come on over. And my grandma's like, I'll heat up lasagna. (laughs) Like, it's so normal. It's weird. But yes. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, this... I had hardcore family vibes for a lot of the crazy shenanigans in this movie. I'm so glad. I was digging it. I don't love that they cheat, but I feel like, I don't know, the movie was so weird. Like, that was the least weird thing about it for me. I was like, I can't be worried about cheating when there's a wooden hand in play. Like, what's going on? I know, right? You know she got spruced up. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) That's a hard splinter to get out. But I hated that her dad was cheating. That really bummed me out. I didn't care so much about her cheating because I don't even know if she's ever kissed Johnny. Like, I don't know what that relationship is. We've established nothing in it. And he seems like an idiot. (laughs) contract it's a transaction yeah he didn't even get on his knees and then when she was like can i have the ring he was like but i like this ring i was like bro what look i've had two acl surgeries okay you don't just like get on your knees okay uh he was worried about his suit michael enough (laughs) also he didn't get on his knee like he got on both of his knees yeah like a friggin creep like one knee is the total amount of knees that you should be on when you're proposing yeah yeah yeah. lunging unless you didn't go on the knee in the first place and then you have a knee debt and so you have to do a double yeah, knee double well, knees. he's on his knees twice in this movie mm-hmm. when he initially proposes and then when he hands the ring back to Nicolas Cage to propose. Yeah, that's called the opening and the yeah. final image symmetry. I don't know. I don't know if you've seen films before, Todd. But... I don't know if you're aware of this, Debra. It's called bookending it and it crushed it in this movie. I'm just saying that this movie is poetry on film. Yeah, I'm really glad that you agree with my general life thesis. I love this movie, but I love it for different reasons because everyone's so kind of crazy of like that guy being really enmeshed with his mom, Nicolas Cage blaming his brother that his brother took his hand and his wife, Mm -hmm. which is the most batshit monologue I've ever heard. And I loved it. I love that monologue. Mikey, my favorite part of that scene is when he explains what happened to his hand, he is like fully mad at his brother. And then he's like, but I just wasn't paying attention. Like it was fully just his fault. Yeah. Like <laughs> what? Wait, can we, can we like kind of start there? Because he opens this scene where he, he's like, he opens that very monologue when he's like, do you know about me? And she's like, mm, first of all, Cher being the most unflappable woman on the planet. Yes. In that fucking wool coat. Iconic. This man is just <laughs> shrieking about bring me the big knife. You need to pause there. If a guy opens his conversation with, do you know about me? You're in for a bad night. Yeah. <laughs> oh, or the best of your life where he's saying there will be nothing left. Incredible. Yeah. But she opens. He's screaming. He says, do you know about me? She's like, Mm-mm. he's like, well, nothing's anybody's fault. But so he opens acknowledging this isn't (laughs) Johnny's fault. And then he goes on to say that Johnny spoke to me once and I didn't pay attention. And the meat shaver or whatever sawed off my hand. And then my fiance left me because I was maimed. And Cher is just watching the whole time. And she goes, that's not Johnny's fault. (laughs) He says, I know. And then he screams, 
but I ain't no monument to justice, <laughs> which is I my love favorite. That. I love that Cher was like, but that doesn't make any sense. He's like, I know. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I'm still mad about mm -hmm. it. He holds his hand up as though it is the Shakespearean skull oh, and yes. gestures at it. Johnny has his hand. Johnny has his bride. You want me to put my heartache on a shelf and forget it? No. And I'm like... <laughs> that on human grief and feeling yeah. this movie is brilliant yeah. we're talking about the human experience i wanted to stand up and slow clap many times during this movie i know you would because this movie is filled with a level of pettiness not seen in many years and todd petty would love it how dare you be so accurate <laughs> to as to why i loved this film also Everyone is like hyper concerned with luck for like the first 30 minutes. And then that, that that is no longer a runner. Well, that's just Italians. <laughs> oh, is that a thing amongst Italians? I didn't know that. I'm sorry. Okay. But it's also, it's also hyper concerned with luck. Like that's like an opening theme for yes. the first 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. But then when that random old lady, who's one of my, you know, these little vignettes with characters you never oh, see again, yes. is like, is your fiance on that plane? I put a curse on that plane. My sister's on that plane. The ocean's gonna swallow her up for stealing a man from me. And freaking unflappable Cher is just watching it take off and she just goes, I don't believe in curses to this random woman who's monologuing about- And nothing happens. And, and then the woman just goes, neither do I. And it's just like, that's what we're talking about. Like, is luck real? Is destiny real? Is fate real? Who knows? Who knows? Totally. Maybe my Aunt Marie was spitting on people for no reason. Who knows? <laughs> she was fully spitting on people for no reason. In her defense, I asked her to. With the Ouija board? <laughs> she's been dead for years. I like how Mikey was like, in her defense, though, hot. Yeah. <laughs> so... Asked for it. In her defense, she had reasonable prices. Reasonable <laughs> 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 okay, so Can I ask, what's the format of this? Like, where do oh, we... Oh, shit, yeah. We probably should have walked you through what it's like to be mm. on an episode with us. Yeah, if only you would have had, like, 40 minutes to talk about something <laughs> like that before we started. Yeah, that would have required somebody to not arrive on time, and unfortunately... <laughs> I don't do anything on this podcast. Or <laughs> any other podcast. <laughs> exactly. Um. So, yeah, we just talk about the movie up front, like, first thoughts kind of... First impressions. Yeah, and then we jump into the synopsis. We go through the play-by-play, -play, you know? And then we jump into a, sort of a quick final thoughts, and then we talk fun facts and box office, and then we thank you for your plugs and good night. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, God, I can't wait. I just watched it this evening. <laughs> to refresh, of course. Oh, naturally. Of course. I watched it as close, like, I looked up the runtime yeah. this morning, like, right before I started my day job, and I was like, I want to plan it out, so I, like, turn that off, and, like, ten minutes later, we're talking about it. Yes. And I had planned everything meticulously perfect. And then Mikey had to go be a hero and set it back 40 minutes. But it's fine. And then you forgot everything. Goldfish. I am prepared. I took notes. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Cher disappears into this role in a way that is impressive. Oh, yeah. She's so good. She won. Of course. And she deserved it. And I get it. Like I was surprised about it. Yeah. After seeing this movie, I was like, yeah, I don't even know what else was up for it that year. But like, I get why they gave it to her. Yeah. When you first hear like Nick Cage opposite Cher in a rom-com from the 80s, you're like, what kind of bizarre vanity project was happening here? No, <laughs> this is a fucking story for the these were artists. Yes. Telling you a story. That's what this was. And I, I like I don't listen to Cher's music, but I'm a huge Cher fan because she's Loretta. Yeah. She's Loretta to me. Also, she has had a crazy life and is one of the most quotable people on the planet. She's uh, iconic, undeniably. Yeah. Can I close the loop on uh, who else was nominated? Yeah, who else was nominated? So obviously Cher was nominated for Moonstruck and won, but she was up against Glenn Close for Fatal Attraction, Holly Hunter for <sighs> Broadcast News, 
Sally Kirkland for Anna and Meryl Streep for Ironweed. So like, I've never heard of any of those women. What? I'm kidding. I was like, that's like a murderer's <laughs> row of like awesome actresses. And she, I think, and probably rightfully so, is known for music because that's where she got her start. Mm-hmm. And she's also super successful in music. Right. So like to have a singer come in and just fucking crush the role and win the Oscar is awesome. And I think she earned it too. Mm-hmm. The lady who played her mom. Olympia Dukakis. Yeah, she fucking nails the scene where she's like, you need to stop seeing that lady. There is oh. so so Chills. much emotion in her. Yeah. I'm like crying in that scene watching it the first time. Ugh. It's so good. It's so good. There's so many little quotable lines. The thing that I think it's so hard to pin down what I love the most about this movie, but I really think that it's it's like this transcendent. It does it transcends sort of genre. It transcends who's in it. It transcends like what you would think it is. And it's really just this movie where over and over again, they just kind of ask the question of like, is life all that serious? Is love worth it? And isn't love the point within family structure, within this romance? Well, and it's all different kinds of love and stages mm-hmm. of love. And I love that about mm-hmm. this. And can you start over? Like it asks this yeah. question yeah. of like, can can you wake up and be someone new today? And can it be the right choice? Which is like, your life is going down the toilet. And then within 10 minutes of her mom yelling that at her, she's engaged to the love of her life. Like amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I eat it up every time. I think for me, my favorite one that like, honestly like caught me in the throat a little bit is when they're arguing outside of his apartment. And he's like, you waited for the right guy. Why aren't you waiting for him now? And she says, I did. You're late. And he says, I'm here. And I was just like, Oh God. (laughs) Yeah. I think that was my favorite Uh, one between them two. That was a great line. Yeah. yeah. He seemed like, you know, he was rational at that point. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't in a frenzy state. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mikey, Mikey, I need you to pour out your Mountain Dew and just take a shot of magical thinking right now. <laughs> this mental health, <laughs> mental health realism lens applied to a Nick Cage and Cher film. On this podcast, I'm usually the magical thinker. He is. Yeah. He spent all of the last episode arguing that Genovia was allied, <laughs> allied with the Nazis in World War II. So. And covertly still are, Paige. That's what Gianon told yeah. us. Oh my God. I would love to get into that. <laughs> In the books, they were Nazi occupied. So they had to have a sympathetic government at the time. Yeah. We don't have to get into it, but I have a lot of evidence. <laughs> this is the only thing I've seen Mikey do any research on <laughs> ever in my life. I might have to join for Princess Diaries 2. This was Princess Diaries 2. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. But if they do three, you're welcome back. Okay, well, in either case, I need since I'm a magical thinker, I feel like Mikey's balancing my energy. Okay, I'll get into it. I just I'm focusing in. I like yeah, I like the off. love story. They had a lot of chemistry. They do. And these wild lines, like the bodega that she stops by, and it's this husband and this wife right in this bodega. Love. And they're in an argument and they're exchanging money and things where they're in an argument. And the woman is saying, I seen a wolf in every man I ever met, and I seen a wolf in you. And they exchange and they give Loretta her thing. And he goes, You know what I seen? And she's like, what he goes the girl i married and then they just melt into each other while she walks out (laughs) so much yeah you never see them again never it is like a ted talk on how to diffuse a situation through a compliment Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. or like love like yeah when she's when she first tells her dad dad i got news i'm getting married he's like you're getting married didn't you do this already it didn't work and she's like come on i love this yeah where the mom was like do you love him and she's like no no good yeah 
Yeah. yeah. And then at the end, do you love him, Loretta? Oh, my, I love him something awful. And she's like, what a shame. <laughs> <laughs> the interactions with Cosmo, her dad, the only emotion he has access to is like anger yeah. initially. But then it melts so quickly into love. Like even at the end, like they do the sugar cubes. She tells him she's getting married. She's like, you're going to pay for it. He's like, no, I'm not. And then they're like, he just slams his hands on the table and stands up. And then she slams her hands on the table and stands up and they go tell her mother. Yeah. And then at the end where she's like Cosmo and he's like, what? In, in this, in this, every character in the film is sitting at this table yeah. and they're across from each other. Literally everyone who could be on stage is on stage. Yeah. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're sitting across from each other across the table with all of their family and like symbolically all of their life and marriage between them. Yes. And she says, have I been a good wife to you? And he says, yes. And she says, I want you to stop seeing her. And he just slams both hands on the table and stands up. Loretta's hand is in her, forget, her face is in her hand. Yeah. The camera areas are sitting there like, what the? <laughs> and he stands up. He slowly sits back down and just says, okay. Yeah. And she says, Tiamo. And he says, Tiamo. And it's resolved. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Is it resolved? No, probably not. <laughs> I mean, I, I hope he stops seeing her. I mean, in the plot, it is resolved. But Mikey, I understand what you're saying. Yes. Sure. But magical realism, Mikey. Magical, magical realism. realism. Like being a professor and then like preying upon all your students like that one guy's <gasps> monologue. Oh, that guy gives a TED talk on how to groom students for sure. <laughs> yeah, you're right, Mikey. But here's the thing. I love it for Olympia Dukakis's comments to him at the apartment yeah, yeah. of her being like, it's not because I'm married. It's not because I'm too old for you. It's because I know who I am. Yeah. Boom. So good night. Yeah. Such a great side plot because you've got this one man fearing death by chasing youth. Right. In this character that you met in the opening scene. You meet him externally yes. as he's getting dumped by one student. And then you've got this other man, Cosmo, who's cheating on Olympia's character in, again, this pursuit of immortality. Yeah. And so this underlying question of like, if the clock is ticking, uh, like, can I be relevant? Can I stay alive? I'm afraid to lose my life. I'm afraid to lose things. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Like this fear of things ending before you're ready for them to end. Yeah. And then you've got this incredible random love story that's, of course, not supposed to be happening. It's the brother of the groom and Cher and blah, 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 blah. That's just this like adrenaline epinephrine shot of like there's so much life left to live mm -hmm. and it's waiting for you right here and now. And it's just the whole movie. It's one of those things where it's like all of these flavors are way too strong. They'll never go together. I'm not eating this weird concoction you made me. And then you take a bite and you're like, how is this the best food I've ever eaten? Yeah, there you go. I love it. And in contrast to that fear that they're chasing while chasing the youth. I love that Olympia is so unafraid. Mm -hmm. She is not afraid to ask them questions. She's not afraid to be old and to embrace that she is who she is. She is the age she is. She is the person that she is. And then also not afraid to demand what she believes is due her. And so, like, she became one of my favorite characters in the movie. She crushes it. Yeah. Like, understated excellence, I would say, in the movie. Love it. Yeah. When she looks at Cosmo and says, Cosmo, I want I want you to know that you're no matter what you do, you're going to die like everybody else. <laughs> yes. And he says, thank you, thank Rose. you. Going to bed <laughs> now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like the themes of like heartbreak, making it feel like you're facing oblivion. It's never going to get better than meeting someone and feeling all those things again is nice. Mm -hmm. yeah. Renewal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Renewal. I also really liked the aunt and uncle character. And after the uncle talks about Cosmo's moon and how this big giant full moon will like 
pull a woman together, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he's telling this story. Cosmo's essentially trying to get him to shut up because he's cheating on his wife. This relationship, this story is about. And then they go, the husband and the wife, you see them back in bed. And he's looking at the moon and he's like, I can't believe it's Cosmo's moon. It's right here. Yeah. And she just looks at him and says, you know something? Standing there in that light, you look about 25 years old. And he like does a little shimmy dance back to bed and crawls <laughs> in and starts kissing her. And they giggle and the like, you know, it fades to black. Oh, because they are full on going to pound town on the springiest oh, yeah. mattress ever. Absolutely. Yeah. In Nona and Nona style. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just loved that it was like, here's these two relationships of the same age age and maturity and you've got one where these characters this one character is like fighting the inevitability of time and one where these characters are looking at it holistically and being like like let me look back and appreciate everywhere we've been Mm -hmm. and it's like a juxtaposition of what life can be yes i love it well i think it's because they maybe not embrace but like they accept their own death with like love and like with love with their partner and like they're happy with what they've done and you know another couple well, Cosmo, at least, clearly is not and wants more and wants to live forever or whatever, you know? Yeah. And it just, like, doesn't help his relationship. Yes. No, and can we talk about the mistress? I love her pink dress. I love that she was contouring her tits in her 50s. At the Metropolitan Opera in the bathroom. In the bathroom. She's contouring her tits. I can't think of a better place to contour your tits. I like a girl who puts an effort in, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You haven't lived until you powdered your tits at the Metropolitan Opera. Yeah. I really did like that she wasn't a young mistress. She was like parallel in age. Yes. And she just halter topped those babies right back up to where they were in her 20s. Yeah. But she fawned over him like she was young. When he gives her that charm bracelet. It's all stars and birds. <laughs> let me tell you. First, when he's telling her about his day. And he's just like, and then I tell him copper pipes are the ones they have to buy. And she literally said, I I quote this as often as possible. You would be alarmed at how many times I can get this quote into an average conversation. But when she goes, oh, Cosmo, you've got such a head for knowing. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about pipes because he's a plumber. I lose it every time. And then he slides her the cheapest looking charm bracelet that God ever made. That's just birds and stars. And she's fawning at, and he goes, it's birds and stars. Because birds fly to the stars, I guess. <laughs> she just melts. My friend, I have some, both of my grandmas, this is their favorite movie, and one of my favorite <laughs> friends who shares a birthday with my grandma. A coincidence? I think not. Also her favorite movie. And, and so her tradition is to watch it every New Year's Eve. It's a perfect New Year's Eve movie. (laughs) I can see that. It is kind of a Christmas movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's a holiday movie. And she, for my birthday last year, she got me off of Etsy. She paused the screen and zoomed in as much as she could on the birds and stars charm bracelet. What? And commissioned one off of Etsy. Do you have it? Uh, Of course I have it. I didn't want it to jingle jangle in front of the microphone. Audio quality (laughs) always, Todd. I mean, that is, that is my motto. You do know me very well. Yeah. I'm telling you, I just caught your vibe instantly. <laughs> that is his vibe. He's like, don't yell. Yeah, yeah. I'm the nerd that wants things to sound good for the listeners. Or whatever. Yeah, freaking loser. <laughs> it was actually like on my wrist, and then you came on the screen, and before I clicked join with video, I like shook it off on the side. I'm like, oh no, this guy's gonna hate it. But no, I have a replica of that bracelet as close as you can get off of an Etsy store, except for in silver, because I got my colors professionally done, and it turns out I'd been wearing gold, which washed me out like an idiot all my life. So mine's in silver, and I glow. But I wear it all the time, particularly on days where I like need some bolstering. Yeah. I'm like, 
Oh, Cosmo, you've got such a head for knowing, <laughs> and for I'm Cosmo. <laughs> we forgot, I just realized as we're talking about this, we forgot to talk about your drinking game. <laughs> so let's zoom back. Moonstruck is not just my favorite movie. Nick Cage is arguably my favorite actor. Mm-hmm. If there's a hill to die on, fine. Put my freaking tombstone at the top and project Moonstruck on a loop. You don't even have to write my name. People will know. <laughs> How big are you requiring your tombstone to be? <laughs> That we could put a whole movie up there. As big as the moon. As big as <laughs> I want Cosmo's moon. No, I lived a long time. I lived a long time just watching Ever After and Cinderella Story and Legally Blonde and Shrek 2 on repeat on a tiny little TV from Costco. A lot of years. All coming together now. This is all yeah. making a lot of sense. Painting a portrait. Mm-hmm. Wait till Mikey gets talking about the murder plot in Ever no, After. We can't right? talk. <laughs> Okay, okay, let's talk about it. No, Do you no. Think... God damn it. What? No, one vignette. One vignette. Yeah. Bring it, Mike. I think she poisoned the step the dad. I think the stepmom poisoned the dad. Okay, hold on. Yes, he dies of a heart attack. But he's the money. Exactly. But I think she wanted to like inherit the money. That's that was She I can't. Think... She's a woman. But she's gonna inherit it no matter why cut off the source of more money to the point that you're hawking candlesticks and I, blaming I, the staff. That's she right. was just evil in a way where I felt like she murdered them. I, I there's some <laughs> some stuff you you know okay. years of experience. Just because she has Angelica Houston face does not mean she didn't seem surprised enough he died no 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 she was like a ghost you cannot leave me here you cannot leave me <laughs> yeah. here no that was real yeah she genuinely seems upset and sad about it that was too much of a sentence that was like constructed beforehand you know no, what I'm saying I think she's no she's seeing she's practically was screaming bank account you cannot leave me here August <laughs> is just the name for that in front this is a farm and I have dresses like that's what she's screaming <laughs> I mean in Mikey's defense when she did run over there, she paused and said, line, and then <laughs> someone fed her her line. She she was like, <gasps> like, visibly her chest hitched back, and then she was like, oh, ghost, and ran away. <laughs> I see the performance. What's our ATM number? Like, yeah. <laughs> I think she's just a dramatic bitch. Yes. That's yes. the thing. But I want <laughs> one before we wrap up this, this vignette, I need you all to know that, you know, at the end of Ever After, when she's like, all I've ever wanted was a mother, was there a moment in its smallest measure of all that you loved me? And her response is, how could anyone love a pebble in their shoe? Yeah. The first time that I ran away from home. The first time. You had to qualify this with, guys, this is only the first time I made a horrible mistake. Okay. I was eight years old. I lived in a cul-de-sac in suburbia. I wasn't exactly making a statement. I made it to the curb across the street before I got hungry. I thought you were describing it like justifying you running away. You're like, I was in a cul-de-sac. I had to leave. (laughs) He's like, my life was just a loop. Of American flags. I couldn't stay inside that horseshoe, Mikey. (laughs) And SUVs. No, the first time that I ran away after my parents had obviously not understood something very critical about the world and they were very, very like, I I can't live in this house. This is a prison. I slipped a note (laughs) under their door. Rage Against the Machine started making sense that summer and you had had it. (laughs) Um, Don't even get me started on my emo shit playlist. 101 of the perfect curated songs that I listen to on repeat over and over. I'm going to need you to share me that playlist. Do you have a link for that? Yeah. Yeah. Immediately. We're going to need some of that. If I may be so bold, we might put it in the show notes. Anyway, I slipped (laughs) a note under my parents' door that said, I'm just a pebble in your shoe. And then I read. My <laughs> dear sweet the boss to call Angelica Houston a drama queen. After that. <laughs> I 
I was like, yes, I am Danielle de Barbarac, and everybody here is stealing my mother's dresses and my father's books. <laughs> and I will take this door. I will undo it by its hinges and be free. Yeah. You took the door off the hinges at eight? That's a that's a lot of drama for both parents to be in that room. You know what I'm saying? You know what? I think um, <laughs> I... Oh, how do I say this diplomatically? <laughs> when I said that the love of Moonstruck skipped a generation, the drama that feels it did not. And so my mother and I have spent many moons struck locked in a battle of will. We're passionate women. We see the world differently. Mm -hmm. And it started young. No, I, I get you. I, one time I broke my brother's arm. I get what you're talking about. Dude, I broke my dad's nose when I was a baby. <laughs> yeah, see, I got, I got you. I got you. When you were a baby? Yeah. Mikey broke his brother's arm like a year ago. Well, good for Wreck-It Ralph. Actually, how long ago was it, Mikey? <laughs> I don't know, Mike, tell the tale. He wouldn't get off the computer and he tried to punch me. This is not a, we don't have to litigate that this. That can't be the reason you broke his arm because he wouldn't get off the computer. I was defending myself and he broke it upon me. He like hit me too hard, you know? And then it broke on me. Wow. Oh my, God. okay, wait. So the tale <laughs> started with, Hang the tale on. started with just admitting to casual assault. Yes. Captain mental health over here, just being like, yep. <laughs> yes. And now it's, I'm so, so I was a minor. I'm so just like hard as a human being <laughs> that he flung his arm backwards and it shattered against me as though I was a mighty oak. Have you seen Bruce Willis in uh, Unbreakable? That's like Mikey to a T. <laughs> I don't know what happened. The doctor said it wasn't possible, but it happened. I don't know what, you know. Yeah, right. and then called CPS. The doctor said it wasn't possible? <laughs> I'm just saying, humans are due to evolve soon. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I look at my pinky toes and I'm like, what's the point of you? You're little and weird. Evolution's coming. Also, we look at Mike and we're like, the next step. Devery, those go to the market, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they go wee, wee, wee all the way home. Well, maybe we should just get into this movie so we can go through it scene by scene. I feel like we've talked about almost all of them already, but let's get into it. Oh, not even close. Also, can we like do one little section for just favorite standalone quotes? When they're about to have sex and it's like, I don't want anything but skin to be left. And he's like, there'll be nothing left. That's so unhinged. But I'm here for it. She's <laughs> like, take your egg on your brother out of me till there's I'm just what is it? Skin or bones? Yes. And he says, there will be nothing, nothing left. left. And then they start <laughs> vocalizing as though penetration has happened. They're fully clothed. <laughs> right. Fully, they remain fully, fully clothed. clothed the whole time. Only until they like wake up are they naked. Right. Uh-huh. And then she's wrapped. She's wrapped beautifully in a blanket. Paige, have you ever managed to like be a naked woman in bed who suddenly is shocked? and just whip a massive queen-sized comforter around you like fucking Batman's swishy cloak and casually like run out of the room concerned for your life. I'm never going to be that graceful a day in my world. Have you guys practiced? Practice makes perfect. Of course I have, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Duh. She's a single woman in New York. Of course she has, Mikey. One of my only goals in life is to essentially haunt my own house. You don't nice. think I've draped myself in fabric? <laughs> yes. And morosely swished from room to room? Of course I have. Paige, talk to me. Yeah, so to answer your question, no, I have never successfully done this, mm. but I have jumped out of bed and tried to do it and tripped on a comforter like four different times. Exactly. I feel like this is the same thing is when like a man invented high heels Ugh. it was just setting us up to fail mm -hmm. like nobody can do that and why don't we have pockets <laughs> 
in fairness, that man who invented high heels invented them for another man. It was like for a king or some shit. That is true. I mean, they essentially were like Ron DeSantis thing, like, but instead of boots, it was like their shoes. Uh, they just wanted to be taller. I wish the listener could hear the way I'm glaring at you, Todd. <laughs> How dare you siphon this moment of, of feminine rage to a little fun history fact that doesn't pass the special test. How dare you? Yeah, this is not our normal pod balance. I'm just going to like quiet it down for a little bit. <laughs> Power, powering down. I have a whiteboard on my door because I watched Moonstruck two full moons ago for the blue super moon, by the way. I love that you celebrate moon-based holidays by watching Moonstruck, but we can p- table that for later. Please continue. I think everything that needs to be said about that just got said. Take it off the table. <laughs> I have a whiteboard on my on my door that I drew the moon and in it says La Bella Luna. And then I wrote Johnny has his hand. Johnny has his bride. And I left only half of it for space for roommates to leave me notes. And the rest is just like a declaration of self. I love it because that is the craziest line in this movie. I'm not sure I've ever been so impressed and concerned by a statement in my life. <laughs> yeah. Her statement or Nicolas Cage's? Well, could go either way. Probably both. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was pretty much born knowing who I am. You know what I mean? Like Johnny has his hand on his bride. That's getting written on my wall. I might as well tattoo it at this point. <laughs> but I also think that the woman in that scene where he's like, bring me the big knife. And she's like, I won't do it. <laughs> I love that I so her. much. I she was the best. So oh, she's like, I'm in love I with love him, him, but, but I can't I tell. Told yeah. Him. <laughs> yeah. This is the most tortured man I ever known. I love this man, but he doesn't know it because I never told him because he can't love anyone since he lost his girl in his hand in the same day. And that's it. You never see her again. <laughs> it's her only line. I love her so much. But the bread there tastes amazing. There's just a lot of passion. Except for that one day where it was half hand. But since that one mistake, yeah, absolutely. That probably actually was good. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Well, I love a good hand on rye. Ah. Little hand on rye, Mikey. <laughs> Son of a bitch. We have to start talking about the plot of this movie or we're never going to get through this episode. Okay, okay, okay. And Taco Bell closes at one. So, like, we got to move. Okay. Really good point. We cut to New York around Christmas. The Met is setting up for, uh, I believe it's La Boheme at the opera. It is La Boheme. It's all over the credits. Like, the credits of this movie is sponsored by La Boheme and fucking, like, the Metropolitan Opera. Yeah. Yeah. And Aquanet hairspray. And that's it. And Aquanet hairspray. (laughs) And we open on Cher basically walking down the street as the opera prop trucks are loading in. We see her go to a funeral home. And uh, after that, a, a restaurant, a florist. Basically, she's doing everyone's books. She's an accountant. Yeah. Basically is what this establishes. I felt like she was like a family accountant, though. Like it was like yeah. friends and family, maybe. She's like small base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just a little Italy. She's doing fine. Yeah. Also, it's important to note that the massive song that's playing is when the that's the opening credit song. Like they're just like right out the gate. They're like, prepare yourself. And they play <laughs> all eight and a half verses of that song. Yeah, they do. Like, it's longer than you remember. Mm-hmm. But also, anytime anyone in this movie is not talking, it's mandolin music. Yeah. <laughs> like, just right behind them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it definitely feel, like, I felt like I was in an olive garden the whole time. It was great. Yes. <laughs> when you're here by your family. <laughs> your family. But yeah, like a family accountant, or or at least in very close-knit Italian communities. Yeah, yeah. A lot of mom-and-pop businesses. That's the, the vibe I got. Like, she got her CPA yeah. license or whatever you have to do to become a CPA, and then she just, like, immediately had clients because she's, like, her friends have like a big network, you know, of friends and family. And it's yeah. a, it's 
the Italians. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, my grandfather used to have uh, an auto body shop and my mom at one point did his books and she and I bad at math. So, you know. That's an interesting <laughs> cover story for she and I embezzled a shitload of money. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, whatever, Paige. <laughs> we did not. But when she went away to college, I think she was like, phew, somebody else gets to do this. That's just girl math. That's just girl math. Yeah. Just girl math. That's all that is. <laughs> yeah. Girl math. That's a trend. I read about it. Oh, good. You can read. Okay. I'm good. Yeah. I've been practicing. She's just checking things off her list of like things she wants in a man. Like, can read. <laughs> Check. Can read. Saw the vitamin water picture. Check. Bones shatter against him. Check. <laughs> Check. <laughs> Check. <laughs> that wasn't even something I knew I wanted. I'm just glad it's there. I told him he should have drank milk, you know? <laughs> I told him he should have drank milk. I'm just unstoppable force, immovable object. <laughs> Got it. Right? Mm -hmm. God help you if he's like a real life superhero who shows up late to recordings so he can make sure people are safe. Check. My brother, one of his hands has longer fingers than the others. And when he went to med school, he said, because of you, I can't become a surgeon. And I said, where are we? When are we going to let that go? You know, Johnny has his hands. I do like how Mikey is more or less Johnny in this movie now. <laughs> Uh, my mom slapped us both and she's like, you're trailer trash. This is not what our family is. And, and her was, hand broke was, against your face. Hand <laughs> <laughs> bone all the way down. It was a very dramatic <laughs> night for our family. It was, it was rough. My God. <laughs> Everyone was in casts for six months. Yeah, I'm just saying it's like a Moonstruck sequel is coming. This is how <laughs> yes. it is. I like it. I like it mm. a lot. Anyway, so she goes through all of her, her clients and basically we get a sense of who she is. A single independent lady, right? Yeah. She lives with her family, but I mean, like, yeah, sure. But yeah. she's single. She's not dating anybody. No. Her husband has passed away. Her right. husband got hit by a bus. Yeah, he got buzzed. And it happens. And you gotta you gotta keep you gotta keep accounting. Yeah. Anyway, she's an accountant. We cut to her at a restaurant. And this is where we're kind of seeing the other people in the restaurant too. So this is the professor with his first student who is like, you don't understand. And just like immediately tosses a glass of water on him. Love it. Yeah, Frazier's dad has like a huge drinking problem in this movie in so much as that he can't stop getting them thrown in his face. <laughs> yeah, that's hard for a lot of men. He got the job on Frasier because of this movie. Did he? Yes, he was not super well known, but then he did this. He nailed it. And it became his calling card and he nailed it. And eventually it landed him Frasier. I mean, good for him. And he is a good actor. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I also think it's important to know in this scene where it's like he's a professor and this young woman is throwing a drink in her face. Every woman who watched this could immediately recognize the power dynamic of a man dismissing something very valid about her and mm -hmm. her just saying, go fuck yourself for real professor and throwing a drink. Yeah. Yep. It's not like some bimbo being flighty. It's like a woman being like, I hate you <laughs> yep. and everything you stand for. Goodbye. Yeah. I'm not even going to stay for what is probably delicious Italian food. <laughs> like for the amount of time they all go there. Yeah. This restaurant. Oh, oh God. The waiter's name is Bobo. Everybody calls him by name. He, he scurries. He's a man yes. who scurries to bring you your linguine. I mean, that's how you keep all three Michelin stars or whatever. Yeah. It made me crave manicotti where I was like, am I going to have to mm. make manicotti this <laughs> week? The last time I had authentic manicotti, it was served to me from a large Italian man wearing a shirt that had a stripper pole on it that said, 
I support single mothers. And it was the <laughs> best manicotti I've ever had in my fucking life. This is like your bandmate's dad, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was the best. For for listeners, appreciate the fact that Todd delivered that last line with the hand gesture, the Italian <laughs> hand. <laughs> I've got an Italian accent that I'm going to throw out this episode. So I watched this with Natalie, Mikey, and, Na- and Natalie literally was like, I hope you're ready for like wall-to-wall shitty Italian accents for Mikey. And I was like, I am ready for that, darling. I am. I think I'm going to be Wario for Halloween, so like, I've been working on it. I love that a lot. Just make sure the uh, costume clings in bunches, Mikey. Yeah, yeah. Look, man, that was like a... That was a good dick day. Look, we, we've all had them. Hey. You know, you're like, damn, that bulge day was a good bulge day. You guys have... Guys do have good dick days that is a that is a truth we definitely do have good dick days that's a thing i didn't know that sometimes it's so good i'm like where did this dick come from where were you <laughs> wow. two weeks ago mikey i still contour my uh cum gutters sorry i was just trying <laughs> to think of like in the in the bathroom of the met <laughs> yeah in the bathroom of the met absolutely yes. absolutely yeah when you say you're powdering your nose, that's what boys are talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, if, it, if I was in this movie, it probably would just be cocaine because everyone is on cocaine in this movie. But Stuff in the front of my shirt with those Hawaiian rolls to like look like yeah. I have abs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Can, I'm so sorry to like harp into this, but I, I am deeply curious. What do you like if you wake up on a good dick day? Is, are there things that you do differently than you would on, on a bad dick day? Like what does yeah. that do for you? I sleep naked that night. Oh, yeah. Mm, uh-huh. yeah. I uh smile <laughs> i feel like a like a valuable person that people yeah like that has worth you know yeah yeah a retreat from the edge of the abyss just yeah, for a yeah. day for yeah. a treat i just like stand out my backyard and look at the grass and i'm like man it's so wild that literally anything exists yeah that's a good dick day right there i send a mass text message mm-hmm. of my dick to everyone i know just Look, Ma. I've gotten that exactly three times in my life from Mikey. <laughs> and I'm like, it's a good dick day for Mikey. Mm-hmm. And I'm not coming wow. to your pool. Put some glasses <laughs> on it or whatever. Like, really class it up. Yeah, like googly eyes. Little googly oh, eyes. Oh, you gotta have the googly eyes. Have a chat. Yeah. Cape. Yeah, you shave your pubes like the Mark's mustache and then put oh glasses on it with googly eyes. <laughs> yeah, and then it has little bits. You're, like, recording uh-huh, yeah. bits. They're in the drafts, in the drafts. <laughs> Do you ever speak to it as though it is a companion like are you walking through and you're like i know buddy like it you get like a little twinge and you're like i hear you friend and then you like talk about your hopes and dreams when i was a child Mm. but now i am a man and i don't talk to my dick like that wow it probably misses you have you ever thought about that have you seen pam and tommy yeah. Oh, God. So, yes, I have fully done that. I have fully had that okay. conversation in the bathroom of someone's house. Uh-huh. And after a stern talking to from that dick left that house mm-hmm. immediately after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were like, don't put me in, coach. Get out. Well, good for I can't believe that your dick is the responsible parent. Yeah, I don't I don't understand what he's talking about. Uh, I paused the show at that point. And I texted like five of my female friends that I told I was watching that show. And I said, this was written, directed and filmed by a man. Like there's there were no women in the room. <laughs> Absolutely. When this happened. Yeah. 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 Um, and then I never finished the show. I was like, that's enough for me. I think today. Oh, it actually gets really good later on. But it's it's tough. But yeah, I mean, Sebastian Stan. You're just a Sebastian Stan guy. There's a certain type of man that I'm like, I don't know if you are the sort of person that if you had people that could disappear a body, 
you would murder a woman. Like, it's just that, it's like that mm. feeling where you're- That's what you like? That's your type? Hang on. No, 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 no. I have so many questions. That puts me off. My question is, is it to disappear a woman or a romantic rival? Like, is this someone who would disappear a man who looked at me the wrong way? You're one of those. Ooh, you like a little jealousy. Heats you up, huh, babe? I mean, hey, it's- Or should I say Peggy? You getting Peggy. spicy over there? <laughs> Alter ego Peg? I'm just saying, I mean, it's one of the most fun parts of the 365 series for me whenever we do those movies mm. is making jake jealous by watching them i'm confused no, oh no. you mean the jealousy part of the plot yeah yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when he murders other people who look at his wife yes yes <laughs> when he shoots a guy's hands for touching her i'm like that's so unhinged and now he only has half a hand and the rest is wood Massimo has his hand. Massimo has his wife. Ronnie has no hand and Ronnie has no bride. We've got to get back into talking about this movie, guys. Yeah, yeah. please focus. Let's get back into the movie because we have covered almost none of it. It's yeah. been like an hour. You're right. I've been begging us to get back into it. Back in the movie. This is where they're ordering in the restaurant. He tries to order the fish and she's like, no, you're about to get on a plane. Manicotti. And they're like, all right. But this is also where the waiter kind of sneaks around and is like, hey, Bobo, Bobo, he's going to ask her to marry him. He told me to set it up. So we've got the champagne and everything. As their dinner kind of comes to a close, he says, I want to see the dessert cart. And she's like, you never eat dessert. Like, what is going on? And he panics and just asks her. And she's just like, well, aren't you going to get on your knees or do you have a ring? Like what? And he has <laughs> not thought it through clearly. Also, before it is critical to me that we mentioned that in the moment where he's panicking mm -hmm. before he says, will you marry me in front of just a cart of dessert? He like runs his hands up his face and then gets to his hair and then starts just like a maniac scratching his head. I thought he maybe had like an allergic reaction to something they ate. He yeah. starts just scratching his head and she says, what's wrong with you? And he says, my scalp's not getting enough blood sometimes. Have dessert. And that's it. We don't ever talk about that again. <laughs> no one ever questions it. It's one of those made up illnesses that old people have. You just panic scritched yourself like a manic dog. And then was like, my scalp's not getting enough blood sometimes. And everyone yeah. was like, that happens. That checks out. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I've never heard someone say those words in that order before, but I immediately am okay with this. I love it. Let's move past it. But again, she's like, if you're going to do this, do this for real. Because like yeah. last time I just courthoused it and I had bad luck. So I'm doing it for real this time so he's complaining about his suit but this is also the first kind of little inkling that we get about her first relationship which we get pieces of throughout the movie where it seemed like she super loved somebody they jumped into it and one of my favorite lines that she has later is i didn't realize it was a gift i wouldn't get to keep yeah that's so sad oh been there but anyway she makes him kneel in his fancy suit and, and people in the restaurant are like he's ruining his suit and i was like what a wild thing to notice yeah and she's like i helped you pick this out it has two pants get on the ground you're proposing to a woman you kneel <laughs> i fully agree but the fact that the whole restaurant is paying attention to this proposal mm -hmm. is the most unrealistic thing to me in this movie what no. no have you ever been in a restaurant where there's a proposal yes i watched the whole thing yeah you know what i did i continued eating my steak and was was like oh that's crazy what's happening over there you monster well you know i'd love to watch it because like you never know if they'll say yes and exactly. so like that's the best part but also this is a small town mm -hmm. italian restaurant where everyone in there knows each other's names yes. including yes. the waiters name. it's practically cheers but for italian food yes right so the fact that that johnny camareri is proposing to loretta and everyone turns to watch and starts putting their input in and ending it with capiche <laughs> i feel like this is just a metaphor for the entire experience of 
the family, all of the Italians watching all of the time, everything is happening. Like right from the beginning, they frame it as like nothing happens in a vacuum. Nothing is a secret. Yeah. Yes. It's where everybody knows your name. Very good. Yeah. Great accent. Authentic. Thank you. She comes by it naturally. She is Italian. <laughs> I do not. None of my relatives have the accent. Well, I mean, but you are Italian. I'm saying that so we yeah. don't get busted for. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Whatever. Sure. Oh, like my accent. It's a me. I might get the Italian. Yeah. That's just a video game. That's just. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I'm basic like, you know, American Italian where we don't speak it, but I have been to Italy, so I'll take it. Mm. Anyway, yes, everyone knows them. Everyone knows their name. Nothing happens in a vacuum. So everyone's watching this proposal and he doesn't have the ring. So he uses his pinky ring. Yeah, she makes him. Which like, I love a pinky ring. Mm. Well, listen, uh, when a man's hand is well accessorized, like if you're wearing rings the right way, yeah, so much hotter than if you weren't. But you have to do it the right way. And I can't articulate what it is. It's an innate knowing. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like when you see it, you know it's either right or wrong. And I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you're either Johnny Depp rock star or you can't do it. Like, yeah, I don't think I could wear rings. I couldn't pull it off. You can wear one ring. Yeah, a wedding ring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it for me too. Anyway, so she has his ring now. His king baby pinky ring or his whatever. His king baby pinky ring. <laughs> we cut to them in the car on the way home. And she at this point is like, hey, so when's the wedding? And he's like, we just got to get. She's like, no, 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 no. When is the wedding? When is it? I'm planning an actual wedding. I need a date. And he's like, well, I'm about to go to the airport to go see my moms who's dying. They're on their way to the airport. Yeah, they're on their way to the airport. Yeah. And he's like, well, you know, she's dying. So when she dies, I'll come back. She's like, OK, but when's that going to be, though? <laughs> like, when do you think she'll die? <laughs> she's like, how dying? Yeah. How dying is she? So they set the date for a month. And she says, I'll take care of all of it. All you got to do is show up. Imagine a time when you could plan a wedding in a month. I was going to say. Uh, in what new york city yeah even in 1987 i think that would have been a stretch yeah so they get to the airport and she drops him off at the gate because this is pre 9-11 yeah and she basically is like call me when you get in and he hands her a phone number and says call this number ask for ronnie and invite him to the wedding it's my younger brother it's bad blood we haven't talked in five years but i want him to come to the wedding which I love that he was like, hey, woman, here's some emotional labor that you can do for me to mend my family's strife. Yeah. This is the moment I was like, this guy is fully in love with his mother. Yes. And like has no room or space for any romantic partner in his life mm -hmm. um, because it's his mother or nothing. You know, it's like that sort of a dude. Right. And I hate him for it. Yeah. How old is Nick Cage's character? He's 23 years old in real life. Yeah. I think he's playing a little older. I think he's supposed to be like maybe late 20s. Okay, late 20s. Like late 20s, early, early 30s, maybe 31. Because Loretta's like 38. Yeah, she's 37. Yeah. yeah, I got the vibe that she was older than him. But, you know, like it wasn't weird older, you know. 37 it's on the synopsis. Well done. I read it. You're still practicing. You're getting so mm -hmm. good at reading. I like when there's three sentences. So, yeah, she's he's a little bit younger. So Johnny Camareri looks a little bit older. He looks like he's like maybe... Young 40s, I'd say. I think they say he's 42, right? Okay. I think they actually say that. It's just the it, 42 looked a lot worse in the 80s. And I just have to remember that. That's the, I was like, Jesus, he looks terrible. Well, this, this is everybody before we learned about sunscreen and shit. 
I miss it. I'm like, I want to see us all decaying. I want to see the outside match the inside. Until there's nothing left. There will be nothing left. <laughs> also, it's important, like, in the proposal, he's like, we're going to eat this. And when she says, no, you are going to have, you're not going to have the fish because you'll get green halfway to Sicily because it's oily. He says, you take care of me. And then proposes yeah. so it's like very clear that this is a transactional situation oh yeah where he's like you perform the care that like a mother would give and now i will go weep at my mother's bedside yes she is now being his mother yeah mm -hmm. and i can't marry you until my real life mother is dead because i prefer my real life mother to this strange new mother yeah it's very yeah it's very, very strange which is it's odd to be that close and be physically so far away. Well, when we get to when he gets to his mother's house, that's part of my that's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Oh, so yeah. crazy is that she's just waving him away. I'm like, go. Yeah, in two and a half days when we finally get to that scene, it's gonna be great. <laughs> it's gonna be great. So they're at the airport. He's like, You gotta call my brother. <laughs> the the lady curses the plane and she's like, I don't believe in curses. We don't believe in I don't curses believe it either. I love the lady who curses the plane though. Like she is probably my favorite bit part. She's great. Because she leans into it so hard. Yeah. Yeah. She's also like already wearing mourners gear. Oh, yeah. Like she brought her sister to the airport, put her on a plane, trying to crash the plane with a curse. She's already wearing a mourner's veil. She's like, I come prepared. You always got to be ready. Yeah. She's one of those women. Her feet hits the floor. The devil says, oh, no, she's up. You know, she's yeah. out. She's up. <laughs> Time to clock in. Either that or she's just an old Italian lady. Because there is like a generation of old Italian women who all black, like hair neck whole nine yeah i always i always had the impression that that was like you put that on once you were a widow and it just like lasted like during that situation yeah it's like a full body clothing tattoo yes fun yeah, fact i had a girl break up with me because i made fun of her all black wardrobe too many times mm. did you learn Mikey? too many times <laughs> i like that. did you learn see this is why i brought devry because how many times have i told mikey you can't make fun of people that hard for things and not have them retaliate <laughs> yeah in my defense I got creative with it, and then I thought it was funny, but, like, you know, I did learn some lessons. Yeah. Oh, so she dumped you because you hurt her feelings, and she just didn't have... She has no sense of humor and doesn't understand sarcasm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She dumped him because... He hurt her feelings, and it's her fault, is what he uh -huh. said. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. I like this one. Yeah, that's a good. No. That's a good way. I've never ever heard that before. So <laughs> she was like, "What do I wear?" And I was like, "Probably another black dress, Elvira." And then she like, <laughs> "Well, the mistake you made was it was not going with Morticia and situating yourself as Gomez." Ooh, there you uh -huh. go. Because then. You could have been like, and I worship you. And yes. then it would have been sexy instead of like, oh, I'm spooky now. Why don't we yeah. break, you know? I think we should get together once every month, maybe two times a month to critique Mikey's dating life with Devry. It's Devry. Devry. Ta-da-da. I am surprised that it took you this long to get it wrong. Think Louisiana, Devry. Sorry, that was Louisiana? Or was that Transylvania? It did sound a little <laughs> Transylvania. It was a little, I want to suck your blood, Devry. <laughs> I can tell you a joke. It's fine. I'm not going to run away from the Zoom call. You're not going to dump me? No. <laughs> no, Mikey won't be the one to dump you. No. No, no. Oh, good. I love being the one with a little bit of power. Let, let's not put a definition on it. And then we don't have to even have that conversation. Oh, my goodness. The non-committal <laughs> girlfriend. Have you seen Barbie movie yet? What are your thoughts about Push by Maxbox 20? <laughs> <laughs> I love I love that part so much. It 
was my so mom good. called me after that movie and she was like, I don't understand why the song was so funny. And I was like, this is generational mom. <laughs> yeah, I fucking love that movie. And the way that when they were like, I want to push you around. <laughs> I will. Well, I will. And OK, so anyway, she's she's they've left the airport. She left goes the home airport. to her house. Well, she stops at the liquor store on the way home. But this is where we get that cute little meet cute of those characters that we almost never see again the vignette it's a meet cute for us as the audience because those two characters yes. have been together and probably married it's for a, a married long cute. time yeah. yeah i love this scene we talked about it earlier yes. yeah i seen a wolf in every man i yes. ever met and i seen a wolf in you yeah and that you know what i see the girl i married Aww. i also love that this is like maybe one of the first scenes where they set up this kind of theme that runs throughout the rest of the movie where you've got these intimate relationships and somebody you have like you span from anger, critique, like humor, love, forgiveness, resolution in this very fast turn. And it's like kind of immediately asking the question of like, does it all have to be so serious or are we all kind of just silly little humans doing our best? And I just absolutely love it. Yeah, it's definitely yes. the former. Mm, good. Yes, we are just silly little humans doing our best. Anyway, so we cut to her house where uh, she's coming home. Her dad's asleep in the chair in the living room, which already tells us there's a little bit of something going on between her dad and her mom because she has already gone to bed and he is separate. Um, yeah. But her grandfather comes down the stairs with a sled team amount of dogs that he takes with him. It's Iditarod. Everywhere. <laughs> it, he is living the plot of Balto in the middle mm -hmm. of this movie. Yes. A double Balto reference? I knew I liked it. Double you. Balto reference. He is bringing medicine to those children. Thank that dog. Yep. But yes, a, just an army of dogs. Uh, but this is where she kind of comes home. She tells her dad like, hey, why aren't you asleep? And he's like, I can't sleep. And she's like, well, I'm getting married. And he's like, why didn't you do that once? It didn't work <laughs> out. And she's like, we got hit by a bus. Like, that's not really it not working out. That's just like a tragic accident. That like made me like sad for a decade, probably. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he uses it as proof. He's like, yeah, you got hit by a bus. This doesn't work out for you. Yeah. Do you really want a husband that doesn't look both ways? Mm, that's a great point. What if he was saving somebody else? What if he was late for a podcast? He was handling a crisis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so her dad does say something crazy where he's like, "I've been married for fifty years and none of us has ever been hit by a bus." Yeah. He's like, "It's not meant to be." It's not meant to be. Buses aren't small. If you were meant to be, <laughs> you, nobody would have gotten hit by a bus. But right. her dad is very much taking the opinion of that she should not get married for a second time because it'll probably kill that guy pretty shortly afterwards. Like, he thinks it's actually going to happen. But he also doesn't like Johnny, so that would have been... Yeah, that's passive-aggressive aggr parent-speak is what it is. Yeah. Yes. He doesn't like Johnny. He doesn't want to pay for the wedding. It's really about that's the money. He's, he's deeply afraid of death. He just he said when she says, why aren't you in bed? He says, I can't sleep. It feels too much like death. This man is clearly having a midlife crisis. Mm -hmm. And then when he's he's like, that's not a ring. It's a pinky ring. That thing's ridiculous. And she goes, it's temporary. And he goes, everything is temporary. I love it it's so not much. An excuse. <laughs> I think this was my like personal headcanon is that he didn't want to pay for the wedding because he felt like it might reveal how much money he was spending on the mistress. I thought that too, because you know that little piece of shit, like jewelry thing, like brooch thing he got, not brooch, what is it, bracelet thing he got her? It's birds and stars, Todd. That set him back tens of dollars, Paige. Tens. When he got literally $10,800 out of that family and then bought her what you, know, you might expect someone to give someone they're going to prom with, 
I was like, okay, this man has a drug problem. Like, there's somewhere else this money is going. Yeah. I literally just told you I have that bracelet. So thank you so much for spending all of this time talking shit about the jewelry that I wear. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm making an impression in the world. Todd? Uh, it's nice not to be the villain for an episode. Totally <laughs> forgot about that anecdote. My bad. <laughs> Yeah, walk it off. But yours is silver, so it's like way classier and timeless. It's probably plated nickel, let's be honest. But no, when I don't think that he's trying to cover up money for a mistress because he's clearly very wealthy. They've got the house, he's wealthy, yeah. like he's supporting this family. I think he literally his his wife says in the next scene, he thinks if he can hold on to his money, he'll cheat death. Yeah, he's just cheap. Yeah. Just like my grandparents. Okay, boomer. Why don't you just die and give me my inheritance already? <laughs> right, Mikey? Well, <laughs> they died. I Yeah, you know. how's that house treating you, Mikey? So clearly hanging on to it doesn't save you. Pro tip. They didn't leave me a ton. It had nothing to do with that. You know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. Anyway, so they they go up to tell her mom, and her mom at this point is like, oh, okay. So he doesn't want to pay for the wedding, but whatever. Uh, if he doesn't spend money, he he won't die. That's what he thinks. Uh, and then he goes downstairs and puts on record and she says, oh, great. He's going to listen to that record. And then when he comes to bed, he won't touch me. So we already know there's trouble in paradise. Well, yeah. Is there a record y'all listen to that makes you not want to touch anyone? I mean, whatever that first Creed album is. Mine is um, Push by Matchbox 20. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. I don't have a song that makes me not want to touch someone, but not a single song could do it to you like the monster mash you're like mm, i'm ready to go no i w i fuck with some monster mash no yeah, yeah. i am uh, <laughs> we do the smash it was a graveyard smash like phantasm mm -hmm. like that's the best line in the song get it right what's the opposite like what's the song that makes you compelled to touch people push by maxbox 20 <laughs> 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 God, what are you doing after this? <laughs> anyway, we cut to the cemetery near their house where her grandfather is talking to his kind of older friends. I assume at her grandmother's grave or one of her grandmother's friends' grave. I got the feeling that it was like one of the group. It's like, you know, somebody's seven wife. old men. I think. No, I think yeah. it was one of the dudes. Oh, died. OK. Like it was that like one be. of the people in the crew. And now they go meet around their grave and still talk shit because it very much felt like that's what they were doing. Very much. And this is where he's like, he won't pay for the wedding. I've got to talk to him like mm -hmm. we got to support. You know, she deserves a nice wedding. Whole thing. His dogs are peeing on the grave. His dogs There's a sign that says no dogs allowed. Well, they're peeing out penicillin, though. So like <laughs> <laughs> they're Balto's grandson. And it's he's a friggin' celebrity, so have a little respect. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but we cut to breakfast in the house where uh, her mom is making like egg in a basket with Calabrian chilies, and I was like, "That's God, it looks awesome. Good. Mm, looks that sounds so good. really good. Uh, but this is where they're kind of talking, where she's like, so are you going to keep living here? Are you going to move in with him? Should we sell the house? You know, because it's just your father and I or whatever. But Johnny calls. And this is where he's calling from the, his mother's deathbed. From Sicily. From Sicily that he like opens the phone call with, I am calling you from the deathbed of my mother. She is inches away from death. Like she's feet away. She can immediately hear and you. And she like yells from her room like, are you talking to or something? Like, yeah. No, she's like so deeply annoyed that he's there. And she does this hand motion throughout the scene. She's just in the background of the scene while Johnny Camareri is 
going for his Oscar in performance. And Cher is on the other line just being so like he's like, I'm calling from the deathbed of my mother. And she goes, OK, how was your flight? Like she's yeah. just cruising right by. I love it. And in the background, his mother is just from the elbows, like kind of one of those cats in a Vietnamese restaurant. She's just yes. waving him off like she's like, please leave me alone. And he's like, my mother, I'm so devoted to her, blah, blah, blah. And she's just like, I'm not dying. Go away. Yeah. To this day, like if I walk by my mother and she's like reading a book in bed and we make eye contact, she'll just do that hand motion, like wave me away. <laughs> and we just All of my family from any given room will just wave each other. We'll just wave Johnny Camerari away from us. <laughs> it's iconic. It's hard to believe you guys have a strange sort of relationship. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, huh? Todd, does your mom, does she like your girls that you brought home? You make it sound like there have been a lot, uh, but no, like the three women who have met my mom, yeah, she likes them. She makes it weird. My mom makes it weird. How does she make it weird? What does that mean? Hey, what are you guys going to have kids? Like, she makes it weird the first time oh, she meets somebody. Yeah. I just say, like, we're trying, you know, we're, you know, every day. <laughs> you guys got, like, a spare room? Can we use the Speaking tablecloth? Of, yeah. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of which, <laughs> that yeah. bedroom made up, we got to. You guys don't <laughs> mind if we do it on the coffee table, right? Yeah. yeah. Speaking of which, mom, take a walk. <laughs> I've, I've always had my mom be very excited to meet. How how long do you wait before you bring a girl home? Now a long time because it's so rare. You can't get the yeah. You can't get the hopes up. Yeah, mm-hmm. for my mom, not for me. I could dial the number right now and be like, "Mom, I have knocked a girl up," and she'd be like, "Oh, that's terrible," and like she would be very excited. She, but then she would ready. show up with like a basket oh. of gifts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's yeah, like, what yeah. do we got to do uh, to like get you guys to meet married too? And I'll be like, oh boy. Uh, she gets always very excited when I bring someone to meet her. Fair enough. My parents are like, are you like a thousand year old witch with a vow of dying alone? And I'm like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Run with that. <laughs> Stop asking questions. Get my own swamp cottage. Oh, yeah. Alone. Yeah. <laughs> you will not meet this person until we have a lock on a door that stops <laughs> you from finding us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One time I was on a date with somebody and I was like, no, we need to call. It was like a third date. I like mm-hmm. hadn't felt it from the beginning, but I was trying to like force myself to be no, like, maybe that. people can grow mm-hmm. on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was a good date too. Singleness is wasted on me, people. But we, we did Bob <laughs> Ross paintings in a park. Oh my God. That sounds amazing. Yeah. We're, we were like laying in a park by the beach. We're like doing Bob Ross painting. Some kids on bikes heckled us. And I was, and he like didn't really roll with it very well. And I was like, uh, Teenagers are heckling you and calling you Bob Ross, and this is upsetting you. It's a hard out for me. And he was like, well, you forced me to wear the wig, and that's weird. <laughs> We're both wearing wigs. Yeah, I was going to say, I wear one too. She's like, I bought the set. You're wearing it. Yeah. So the sunset was like approaching, and I did want to watch the sunset over the ocean, but I didn't want to do it with him. And so I was like, I got a family thing. I got to go. And he's like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, really? And I like got up and walked to my car, got in my car. And then this guy like totally calls my bluff. He's in his car and he's sitting there waiting for me to leave the parking lot. And we're at the stalemate in our car. Oh my God. And he's like not getting out of his car. And I'm like, oh my God, he totally knew. And so I literally had to like leave, drive around the backside of like a convenience store. So I left his eyesight and then drive back in and get out and watch the sunset by myself. He's just behind <laughs> you still in the parking lot watching you. I would have been waiting. Single exactly. tier. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I was like, honestly, if he catches me he earned it like yeah i love the sleuthing of it all it's almost <laughs> enough to redeem it but no 
I wish him well. He almost earned a fourth date that night, but no, yeah, he yeah, failed yeah. your spy test. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I do love that, like, the mother's waving him away and he comes to the door and just sobs over her as she's like, oh, <laughs> go. Yeah. He's literally standing in a doorway. His, like, shoulders are visibly slumped. She's in the back being tended to by, like, maybe nuns. Yes. And looks so unbothered by the fact yes. that she may or may not be dying. And he's just standing there, a grown man in, like, a waistcoat wailing yes at her just wailing at his mother a man in his 40s and she's oh. like like she's almost like you can almost hear her being like please let me die <laughs> like, i would please. like to leave this scene yeah amazing I, I do believe she tries to die in this movie and is unsuccessful mm -hmm. i think at one point she's like how long do i have to wait like she says that to God, I think, at one point yeah. in this movie. So I do yeah. believe that she was okay with her death. Yeah. And was disappointed to find it hadn't arrived. Absolutely. So we cut to the bakery because, <laughs> it, and this is my favorite, because she like, <laughs> she calls the bakery. We get uh, the first shot of Nicolas Cage's shoulders, which like, uh, hell yeah. 23 year old Nick cut i mean the the teeth are a bit of a problem for me but other than that wow. here for it yeah the 80s teeth it's pre-flipper he's missing one i liked that a lot it's giving pirate chic and his hair <laughs> like why is it flat ironed in this strange tri-directional way it's baffling mm -hmm. but it's it's just like every bit of glistening sweat on this man's shoulders is yep. reeking with the origin story of nick cage's confidence like you're just yes. looking at it being like wow Nick has always just been Nick Cage yep. and said, yeah, that's who I am. This is where he gets the phone call and they like pass him the phone and he's just like, what's wrong can never be made right. And just hangs up. Hangs up. Yeah. And she's like, what the fuck is happening? So she just shows up to the bakery because it turns out it's like in the neighborhood. It's like across the yeah. street. And it's like five years. You've never spoken. We live on the same block. Like it's Also, the bakery is called Camerary Bros. Yeah. And it's just him and Johnny. Like, yeah, <laughs> I definitely think the author of Hunger Games watched this film because I always thought that PETA being a baker was a weird choice. But this is the only time where I was like, yeah, baking seems very masculine. When he's slapping that dough. He's yeah. Yeah. You could get shredded from baking. Honestly, it's a lot of arm like upper body work. Yeah. And you can lose your hand. You can. You can lose your bride. You can lose your hand and your bride. Yeah. But she shows up to the bakery where Martin and Catherine Scorsese are the other customers in the bakery. Wait, really? <laughs> yes. I completely missed that. <laughs> I was watching it and I was like, is that Martin Scorsese? And then I paused it and he's not credited. But Catherine Scorsese is. And that's I was like, incredible. it's definitely them. Yeah, it's wild. But the the redheaded girl that's about to have a crazy monologue in about two seconds is like, oh, Ronnie's down by the ovens. I'll take you. They go to the ovens, which basically looks like an underground coal mining area. Yeah. It's so wild. There's just so many open flame ovens yes. that wonton dough is being shoved in by nameless sweating men. And just piles of baguettes everywhere. And just baguettes. It's a game of ring toss. It's just baguettes and bagels. And that's all they make. And they make enough to feed Manhattan. Yeah, the There's entire so island. There's so many in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But also, I was like, in Manhattan, who would buy a bagel from an Italian bakery, right? Italians? I don't know. I guess. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, so she is like, hey, I'm here to see Ronnie. And here's who I am. We're getting married. And he just launches in. He's like, I have no life. You took my life from me. 
And this is where we get that insane monologue that we have talked about so many times already, but so good. He says he has no life, but like he's a pretty successful businessman. Like he's a renowned baker in the area. He can afford opera tickets. Yeah. Yeah. And he's doing it with one and a half hands. Right. He's doing it with one and a half hands. I also think the fact that he has these existential monologues available to him, he's either practicing often or he's just on a different plane than the rest of us when he says i have no life and then he says they say bread is life and i bake bread shoveling the stinking dough in and out of the fire (laughs) but where's my wedding and you're like this man is drawing parallels between (laughs) i i related to this i've got a few monologues just ready to go in the pocket just in case you have like a bad day i want you to know that you can't just say that and then not prove it (laughs) not give us one they're too specific you guys are essentially what we're describing is how i accidentally became a social media influencer was one of these random monologues happened to catch the interest of every other white woman in America who overheats on hikes with Irish ancestry. And that's a lot. Mm-hmm. And so now, like, this is my whole job. So when when he takes off talking about baking bread, I was like, this man would have killed it on TikTok. Oh, yeah. He would, he would <laughs> yeah. My other question about this, though, is he says at the end, it's just a matter of time before a man opens his eyes and gives up his one dream of happiness. What is his dream? We never find it out. Then just says quietly as to himself. Maybe, 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 and leaves the bakery and Loretta just follows him. How could you not follow that? Yeah, he's in a mental health crisis, obviously. <laughs> oh my God. She is a mandatory reporter, guys. Yeah, he's like, I'm on shit. He he talks about bread is life. Then he talks about I ain't no monument to justice. Johnny stole my happiness. Then he says, bring me the big knife. I want you to watch me kill yes. myself and tell Johnny about it on his wedding day. And he's playing off of this redhead where he's like, bring me the big knife. And she's like, I won't do it. I can't do it. I won't do it. And he's like, bring it. Now, I have one. I know we're so behind, but I have a friend. They're an Italian family. And this was like the language of their family was moonstruck. They quoted it all the time. Is this friend you? (laughs) (laughs) Got a friend. You could just be like, it's me. This is my life. I have a friend. She's beautiful, interesting, single, likes pina coladas, champagne. But no, (laughs) it was a different friend. And. This was their family's like little secret language was like moonstruck quotes. And her dad had been in surgery for something and he's coming out of surgery. So the anesthesia is still in effect. And they're all sitting around his bed and uh, the nurse comes in and she's like, how are you feeling? And he goes, he slaps the the like bed handle and he goes, bring me the big knife. <laughs> and, and the nurse kind of blinks at him and he said, bring me the big knife. I want you to watch as I slit my throat. <laughs> and they're kind of like, they're like, oh my God, dad, ha ha, so funny. <laughs> and the nurse kind of quietly excuses herself. And moments later, they arrive with a psych eval. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100% they did that. Yeah. We hear you're you're having some thoughts about harming yourself. And he's like just blinking at them. And like they leap. They're like, no, 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 no. It's have you seen the move? The 1980s classic moonstruck with this. <laughs> that is amazing. Iconic. That makes me laugh so much. I do think she followed him because her ex-husband 
talked like that before the bus. For sure. No, it yeah. was Skittles. It was Skittles. <laughs> hey, um, was this friend uh, the author of You're Gonna Die Alone and other excellent news? Is this like that? Jesus Christ, Todd. You know I wrote that book. How dare you? That's what I'm saying. It was you. You're the person. <laughs> it wasn't me. Do I look Italian to you? I'm an amalgamation of all the most northern European colonizers you can think of. I'm practically reflective. I don't see a difference, really. I have no idea. You can't tonally interpret shades of pale. Look at you. <laughs> I no, I know. That's why I can't. I, I, I cannot. He's like, everything's just kind of middle range flat. I just don't, I don't care. Know. Hello, Todd. It's Mikey. Hello, Mikey. It's Todd. <laughs> I need to tell you something. Mikey, it's fine. You'll be a great dad. That's We're going to table that. <laughs> but on that table is a delicious factor meal. Yes! What a transition! Oh my God, guys, this actually is a factor ad. That was amazing, Mikey. Mikey here for factor meal on Romance of the Pod. Heck yeah. We're going to table it. Delicious, already fresh made meals, never frozen. It takes two minutes to warm up, just like Mikey does. I have a busy schedule. I work all day. I have fun too much. I also work at night. I also have too much fun. And I <laughs> have a problem with words. Yeah, words is one. Uh, <laughs> ordering out is another one. Same. I ordered out tonight. Yes. I literally got, let's just say a factor equivalent meal for Natalie and I. And it was like $48 when it could have been way less with factor. Yeah, and I, I struggle with proportions. In fact, it comes pre-proportioned, pre-prepared, chef re ready. I've used it before. Before they even advertised on the podcast, I used Factor Meals, especially when I was working a lot during the COVID lockdown. I mean, that was the best time to get on board with Factor, except for right now, because <laughs> Factor is giving 50% off to all of our listeners. If they go to factormeals.com slash romancingthepod50 and use code romancingthepod50 to get 50% off. That's code romancingthepod50 at factormeals.com slash romancingthepod50 to get 50% off. That's a good deal. Do it. And they have an easy-to-use app. And they never require me to talk about the app. Mikey, that was the end of the ad. That was the I end know. of the ad. <laughs> I'm, I'm still going. All right, Factor Meals. <laughs> Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Anyway, so they leave the bakery. She has her little the leave the bakery. She follows him and he, she's like, where do you live? And he's like above this bakery. Um, but we do cut back to that little redhead who has her like, he's the most tormented ever. And I love him, but he doesn't know that because I haven't been able to tell him because he'll never love anyone again because he lost his hand and his girl. <laughs> yeah, we cut to her dad at a plumbing job fleecing these people for thousands and thousands of dollars for copper piping. I know it's me who's trying to push us through the plot, but I had to take us back to that redhead for one second just to say mm. that she has been dying to tell him how he she feels about him. Oh. And she, in this movie, watches 
someone else marry that person. Like, this is a horror movie for that poor woman. Yes. Yeah. I am a person very familiar with, like, unrequited love and, like, pining and seeing somebody else walk in and be like, oh, no, that's happening right in front of me. When she gave that line and she had, like, one tear falling down, I was like, this is a whole nother spinoff movie. Oh, like, yeah. that's the yes. most real heartbreak of like this redhead their casting call must have been do you are you plucky and do you look sort of just haunted by unrequited love and she was like (laughs) yes and came in (laughs) well they were going to do a sequel called sunstroke where she found love but but as a redhead she can't go out in the sun like that exactly no todd can't tell todd can't tell (laughs) (laughs) i like to think that she ends up with the other baker that like mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage leaves and now she doesn't have him to like watch in the oven room because you know she used to sneak down there at lunch. And so now it's the other baker who's just been standing in the shadows loving her this entire time. I like to think that she ends up with the other woman oh, when they're and they just that. they just look at each other and they're like, men are so emotional, and then they eat cheese and fall in love. Well, I like to think that she finds inner happiness and doesn't think that she needs to have a partner to feel valuable and desired. <laughs> yeah, so she marries the bread. Yes. Got it. Who would talk like that? I think she threw herself in the oven. <laughs> oh, what you don't know is that redhead, Sylvia Plath. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Plath and Hansel and Gretel mashup for her yes. at the end. I would read that story. Mm, I mean, okay. Anyway, so her dad fleeces plumbing people. Then we cut to him on an espresso date with his mistress where he's recounting everything we just saw. And honestly, this bracelet he gives her is like the nicest, most expensive (laughs) bracelet I've ever seen in my life. This bracelet's a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't, don't give Natalie jewelry. Do not give Natalie jewelry. That's not what she wants from you. It's just birds and stars. <laughs> and the best part is that he's using his best bedroom voice mm-hmm. to deliver this line with just unshakable comp. Like, this is a portrait of just a man being like, what could go wrong? Yeah. He's like, it's birds and stars because birds fly to the stars. I guess. I feel like he's just like phoning in his affair like he's been phoning in his marriage. Like he's just that out of touch, aloof dude. Well, he just found sort of a vapid woman who's not very like critical thought is not one of her top five hobbies Mm -hmm. versus his wife, who is incredibly shrewd and, you know, observant. Who is the best? Yeah. He's married to a woman who who sees him. Yes. He wants a woman who see who just believes who he tells her he is. Yeah. And so he goes out and finds this woman who would he says, birds fly to the stars, I guess. She doesn't take back. Cosmo, you've got such a head for knowing. Yeah. Like, this is her thesis statement. I love it. Well, it's because to be known is to be vulnerable, and to be vulnerable is scary and dangerous, but mm. also rewarding. Just like the seasonal trip birds take to the stars. I guess. Dangerous, <laughs> but rewarding. I have always heard that they do fly to the stars for winter. Because mm-hmm. stars are warm. They just need to stay warm. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys know that st- all the stars are like the sun? They're like hot. I read that. In a book. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> anyway, we cut back to Nicolas Cage's house where Cher is already taken one of his dish towels as an apron is already cooking in his kitchen. Yes. <laughs> She's cooking him a steak. There's a random canary yeah. in a cage. He's fiddling with his with his records. He's trying to, he's like, he's like one of those guys that has a lo-fi station ready to go, except for it's opera. Yep. Cause he's, he's like one of those guys that's like these days he'd be like, have you ever heard of Tame Impala? It's a little insufferable, but okay. <laughs> he's whipping up a steak. He's like, and this is my favorite. Cause the banter is so 
fast. Like you would miss it. Yes. But he's like, I want it. I'm not hungry. Well, you're going to eat. I want it raw. No, I want it well done. I want it well done. I want it well done. And she says, you'll eat it bloody to feed your blood. Yes. (laughs) Because you're going to need it in about three minutes. Yeah. When there will be nothing left. And they get into this into this conversation across the table. Go ahead, Paige. Bring it it back to the point (laughs) by point. She drops that steak on the table, which he does immediately eat. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. no questions asked. It looks good. Oh, I love my steak rare. But he says, this is good. What's your name, Loretta? Where, you know, what's the deal with your husband? Oh, he was hit by a bus. Well, where did Johnny find you? And, like, l- just rapid fire questions of, like, bus, did he die? Instantaneous. When did you get engaged? Yesterday. How about you? Any woman since, you know, you're, you lost your hand and your bride? No. Stupid. And but they, and they're literally like criticizing each other's grieving process for their lost relationships. Yeah. And realizing that they are more alike than they have maybe let on initially ever and ever felt with any like you're you're yes. watching these two people who I love that they use the imagery of a wolf again where they brought it up in the yeah. bodega scene in the very beginning. Well, that's what plants the idea in her head to call him a wolf because yeah. she sees the look in his eyes that the woman in that that couple was accusing him of having. So yeah, I loved it too. It was great. And when she's like, nobody did this to you. You did it to yourself. You ch- you would rather chew off your own paw than be with the wrong woman. And it terrifies you to ever love again because you know that wolf's inside of you. And he's just like, and at some point he goes, what are you doing? And she says, I'm telling you your life. And he yeah. says, well, stop it. And she says, no. <laughs> like, this is the chemistry. Of, how do I put this in a Tinder profile? Where I'm like, can you do this with me? No? Okay. It's so great. It is great. Are we tra- trauma compatible? <laughs> tra- <Yeah. laughs> he finishes the steak. He does eat the entire steak, which I was yeah. like, Great. And then he flips the table and she's like, wait a minute. Like, what's happening? It's escalating, escalating, escalating. Well, because he's like, you're a bride without a head. And she says you're a wolf without a paw or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she's she's saying that he's a wolf that chewed off his own paw. Nobody did this to him. He did it to himself. Stop playing the victim. It was weird that she like tried to gaslight him into believing that he mistakenly destroyed one of his hands. Just so his fiance would leave him. I was like, that's a wild take, but I'm here for it. Okay, you know what? This is something I think about all the time. Men hit a point where they don't (laughs) want to be with their partner anymore. And instead of ever being the bad guy in a situation, they will intentionally just get worse and worse and worse trying to force the woman into being the person who ends it. It's the most cowardice bullshit. And it happens all the time. And I love that she was like, don't you blame somebody else for this? You chewed off your hand. Of course, it's a metaphor. Of course, we're in hyperbole. It's shared. Nick Cage. Oh, yeah. I loved it. But it's a good metaphor because he did lose his hand. He did. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I think I think what probably actually happened is he lost his hand and she probably was OK with it. And but his bitterness was pushed her away of like, you hate my hand. It's like, no, you hate your hand. You hate that this happened to you. His projection of his own hate. It's projection. Yeah. Or it was it was like a, a relationship that was never going to work. It was built on right. people that didn't exist. And then when something about him changed, it obviously was like, oh, yes. I, now I see you as real. I don't want this. And neither did he. Right. And then he's yelling at her for like, why would you marry this? Why would you marry my brother? Blah, blah, blah. That you don't love because he sees right through her. She's like, I'm 38. I already got married once for love it didn't work and then he says something about you know when he says you're a bride without a head he's essentially saying like this is a vacant marriage yeah and she's you're a wolf without a paw and then they just stare at each other and yes he stands up we get the profile shot of nick in the tight (laughs) jeans (laughs) and the the tank top 
and he like takes a minute to kind of position it like he goes like kind of like pelvis forward a little bit like, oh, he, like yeah. he's like hmm. he's having a good dick day is what you're saying yeah he's having a good <laughs> yeah. dick day and then he he flips this table so there's no there's nothing between them and she's still sitting in a kitchen chair just looking up at this man who just flipped a table that's obviously one of his go-to moves because he was too good at it he knew where to flip it yeah i also have some like in the back pocket moves you have to like have that and be ready mikey can i ask you to share with us your top three pocketed best moves moves. yeah number one okay i know where the spot is in the hallway i can throw a girl onto my bed from the hallway. That is a good. The bed's not far from the entry, the entryway yeah. across the hall or whatever. It did make it sound like you like hyukened her all, like from one end of a big room to another. Girls love a good throw. If you can like oh, they put do. a throw in your repertoire, good to go. Yeah. And you know, as as a I'm, I'm denser than I look, you know, as a plus size gal myself, you, you just add a little hop to it. They barely you, you throw it. You, you help. Yeah. I don't work out for no reason. You know, I go to a trainer and I said, I want to throw. Yeah. Small, mid, bigger size women across a mm-hmm. room. I want to be able to do it all. He was like, have you heard the song? Push by Maxbox 20. Yeah. <laughs> I want to throw you, you around. Well, I will. Well, I will. At that context, that is the only time where that song leaves Don't Touch Me and goes right into the touch me category. <laughs> you become like Gimli from uh, Lord of the Rings and you're like, you just toss me. That's you it. You toss me, you elf man. I've always had a thing for Legolas. Let's do it. Yeah. Mikey, number two. Number two go-to move? Yeah. You're really going to make him come up with three? Here's what I suspect. He's got one, one move. Yeah. 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 No, no, no. Here's another one. Reverse the car. Put your arm around. You do the mm-hmm. reverse. Okay, 1960s, my dad giving me advice on how to date or whatever. <laughs> uh, what's your number three? <laughs> Open the door for someone. Also a good move. Okay. I thought these were all going to be sexual in nature, and one of them was, and the other sucked. We're at the bottom of the barrel if it's opening the door for yeah. a woman mm-hmm. is a move mm-hmm. in the back pocket. You get them a bracelet with birds and <laughs> stars. <laughs> what if they already have one? <laughs> I've got a drawer full of those bracelets. Yeah, like a pl- like a cardboard <laughs> treasure chest. It's but it's different charms that you can relate. It's like a lizard and like a freaking and the ocean. That's the game I play. They're they're yeah. random charms, and I have to improv what what yeah. is going on when I give them to you. Yeah, it's just a little game for you both. But what's crazy is if you walk downtown Nashville, it's like a Taylor Swift concert, but with Mikey bracelets down there. Like it's nuts. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? There's an entire uh, support group somewhere that just calls themselves like the Jinglers because their little <laughs> charm bracelets get together and jingle. The jaded Jinglers meet on Wednesday nights at the rec center. We switch for ying hors d'oeuvres. It's great. <laughs> There's also the, another like physical move is like you put the hand on the back of the neck. And you you gotta do that some a little bit. All right. I mean, it depends on the context. <laughs> <laughs> so much was conveyed in just one simple word. All right. <laughs> Not for me is what Devry said. <laughs> Devry. I did it. I did it for the rhyme. I apologize. Mm, stop making me French. I'm not. I'm do. Not, I'm not chic enough to be a French woman. You're setting me up for failure. Anyway, <laughs> so Nicolas Cage does his one signature move of throwing the table, mm, and she says, "What are you doing?" <laughs> Dumbfound. Oh no, am I in danger? The best part in the whole thing is that she says, "What are you doing?" Well, he sweeps her up. 
Yes, this is where he's son of a bitch. <laughs> he's holding her in his arms like he's either saving her from a burning building or about to cross a marriage threshold. And frankly, that is the vibe. What is happening next? <laughs> and she yes. says, what are you doing? And he simply screams, son of a bitch. And then just starts walking to their bed. With another monologue. I don't care about anything. I was dead. Me too. Take it out on me. me. What? Let there only be skin over my bones. Nothing left. Like, yeah. He's like, what about my brother? She says, you hate your brother. Take it out on me. Yeah. Take out your revenge on me, which is like, you know, they had like the best sex ever that night. Oh, Oh, that was Mm -hmm. raunchy. The fact that she had that line ready, like she was like, Johnny Camareri, who? Yeah, I don't even like him. He's like, lick the skin off my bones, Ronnie. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Johnny Camareri is calling her from his mother's deathbed, and she's like, it's sunny out there. You got a hat? Wear a hat. He's like, all right, yeah. all right. She looks at his brother, and she's just like, you chewed off your own hand. Now chew me completely to the bone. And he's like, okay. Well, his canary <laughs> yeah. watches, opera's playing. Yeah, what you're describing is a perfect evening with Cher. Yeah. yeah. And Nick Cage. Oh, yeah. I did want to see the stump. Yeah, like you want to see it taken off. Mm-hmm. I was looking at it when he first introduced it when he was holding it aloft in the bakery. Yeah. And gesturing to it with his other hand. Yeah, well, in case you weren't sure where to look. And I was looking at it <laughs> thinking the prop department in the 80s, like that is a wooden thing that's fit to his fingers like a glove. Yeah. And I'm like, they really, they, they really popped off on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They happy Gilmore did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's something that he could insert his whole hand into or if it was something where it was like a wooden cap over his fingers and you just never see the underside. So you don't know if it's like resting atop. I'm very curious. And then I had this thought where I was like, I wonder who has that prop and how much they'd sell it for on eBay. Oh, yeah, that's mm. a good question. But we cut to the next morning. She gets up and she's like, what the fuck did I do? Oh, my God. Effortlessly whips a comforter around her. Yes. Or actually, no. Sorry, I skipped ahead because this is where we get the moon. <gasps> oh, that's Cosmo's right. That's right. Moon. This is where they all get moonstruck. So we cut to the dinner, dinner at her parents. Everyone's wondering where she is because normally she would be there. But this is where they all get into that discussion about the brother's memory about Cosmo's moon and how the moon makes people fall in love and draws people to each other. And then we do get kind of a a run through of like, she's looking at the moon from Nick Cage's apartment. Her uncle gets up and sees the moon and they end up having sex that night like they haven't in years and good for them. Oh no, he became 25 in that moonlight and he gave yeah. Yeah. his wife a good night. Let's just say it that way. Like that, that is like, the healthy form of love in this movie. And I I love their relationship. Their relationship is very cute. It's like couple goals. Yeah. My mother's favorite uh, quote happens at the dinner scene where the old man, her, the Olympia's uh, character, her father-in-law, the one with the pack of dogs keeps taking plates of food that she's giving him and going and sliding them to the dogs while everyone else is talking and nobody's saying anything. And then finally someone passes him another plate and she just cuts through all the dialogue and goes, old man, if you give those dogs another plate of my food, I'll kick you till you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> and I think she'd do it. Easily. It's not her dad. And he just sits back down like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Well. But we cut to the next morning after everyone has been moonstruck. Well, also, I think it it's important to know that the, the grandpa also has a moment where he takes the pack of dogs oh, yes. through New York to a dock where you see that the Twin Towers are still there. You see the iconic New York skyline. The giant moon is close. And he starts looking at the dogs. He's like, come on, let's howl. The bell, the bell. And they won't do the howling. And he goes, you're going to make me wait. And yeah, then he all starts these dogs doing just it. howl yes. at the moon. And then it cuts back to them in, in the, you know, 
adultery bed. Yeah, in flagrante. Yes. So she gets up the next morning, flawless comforter work. And she's like, this never happened. Take this to our coffin. I got to go. And he's like, no, because I'm in love with you. Uh, And she slaps him twice. But that would be like the scariest thing to hear after the like this kind of night, right? Like, right. Okay, if it was any random dude, I would be like, okay, so I there's a ticking clock now between me and becoming a Dateline special, right? But in this situation, where clearly the two of them have been engaging with this nonsensical love, and him just saying it out loud, she slaps him across the face because he told the truth, yeah. And And she's like, me too, but she can't face it yet. So good, yeah. Anyway, so. He's literally in this scene telling her, like, I'm going to go to the wedding. And she's like, don't go to the wedding. Like, please don't show up at my wedding and be like, we boned and I love her. And also, I'm not going to put my feelings on this shelf. Uh, So (laughs) he makes her a deal. He's like, I won't go to the wedding if you come to the opera with me. And she's like, "Okay, fine. I'll meet you there. And he's like, meet me at the Met. She's like, where's the Met? I like that she had to come back to ask that. I thought it was super cute. I love this. Mm -hmm. This like scene. It was very cute. But we cut to the church where she gives confession and the priest is just like, look, hey, uh, yeah, two rosaries or whatever. But like, girl, that sounds wild. <laughs> like, well, because she's she says, uh, I took the Lord's name in vain twice. I slept with my fiance's brother and a third thing. And he's like, OK, go back to the second thing you said. Right. That's a big deal right there. And <laughs> let me just say this. This priest is doing the best hand acting that has ever mm-hmm. been captured on film. Ever. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because that's all you see. You only see yeah. the inflect. Like he is he is articulating his oh. Hail Marys. With- Gesticulating even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so good. Anyway, she runs into her mom at church and her mom's like, where the hell have you been? Because <laughs> she's been gone for like two days yeah. basically at this mm-hmm. point. And she's like, I don't want to talk about it. What are you doing here? And she's like, oh, I'm pretty sure your dad's cheating on me. And she's like, what the fuck? I don't. He's too old. Don't worry about it. Uh, I won't be home for dinner. I have something else to do. So. We do get a brief shot of her aunt and uncle with the like, you were a tiger last night. I'm so sorry. I'm, I have to pee again. I'm too pee. hydrated. I go ahead. Go. So excited about my beverages. I'm so sorry. Go. Flew too close to the moon. It's fine. I'm telling you, usually <laughs> I'm like a freaking a camel, you know, like I'm never stopping on a road trip, but I have drank almost all that water since we got here. Okay, I'll be right back. It's all good. <laughs> so what I want to know is, do the headphones stay on while she's peeing? And can she hear us right now? And is that weird? It is weird to ask, but also you never know. Hey, I'm not the one who left my headphones on like a rookie. I totally That's did. a real the jinx kind of a move. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a specific joke. I know. I think that's fucking hilarious. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, Robert had a hot mic, not just headphones. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I did take into account that you couldn't talk back in all of that. You were wearing a baby monitor, more or less. Yeah, I kept him on on purpose. I did it the first time, too. Yeah. I am nosy. And I was wondering how long it would take for you guys to notice. It took us seconds. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Back to Moonstruck. Back to Moonstruck. Her aunt and uncle. He was a tiger last night. Crazy moon. Uh, she collects their deposit for their store. Yeah. And is supposed to take it to the bank. But she doesn't because she gets surprised or, or get, gets distracted, gets her hair done, looks great. I feel we like we get like a, a makeover montage that's not set yeah. to music. 
Like, that's so rare, and I wondered if that's because, like, that hadn't happened yet in, like, film. Um, you know, like, when was the first makeover montage to music? I think that, I think the key here is that the, the makeover montage that we get doesn't have a big reveal. Mm-hmm. When the, the big reveal is after the night of the opera, when she's kicking her can down the street, and La Boheme is playing, like, swelling yeah. in the background, and she's, she's walking down the street. That's the big, like, end, and then there's music there. Yeah. But while the changes are happening, the music is the chatty sound of a thousand Italian women who work at a salon being like, oh, thank God, these ugly grays are finally gone. Yeah. That's what we're hearing. A chorus of negging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so she gets her hair done. I do love how it turns out. I was like, so give me one of those. Give me yeah. a late 80s, early 90s perm. Should I get a perm? Oh, my hair is naturally curly. And just as I've gotten older, it's loosened a bit. And I was like, I could tighten it up and I could go real 90s Mariah Carey with this shit. That's what she said. Get it, girl. <laughs> you guys should do that. Do Definitely go get a perm. Yeah. Big perm guy there, Mike. No, I just want to see how it goes for y'all. I think it's going to go great for me, honestly. You'd look great in a perm. Anyway, she is not going to be at dinner. Her mom tells the family that she's not going to be there. And they're like, well, where is she going? And she's like, oh, she's got wedding stuff, dude. Don't worry about it. So not only do they take out the gray, she also passes a store that has both shoes that look uncomfortable, but very hot uh, Mm -hmm. and a dress that is in proportions that I think only look good on Cher. Like, I think you have to be almost six feet tall and rail thin to pull that dress off. She does, and then he pulls it off. Yeah, which is kind of the point of a dress like that, yeah. is to end up on a floor. Yep. It is a gorgeous dress, but it's it's like a deep red, like a lipstick, like a femme fatale deep red. Yeah. Uh, velvet tube dress yep. with a drop waist that drops lower than a standard drop waist into a balloon hem into a balloon tool hem yeah mikey and i were talking about that about the balloon tool hem before um you guys joined the call yeah that was like our our favorite hem of the movie i haven't gone to church in a long time i don't know what <laughs> not hem. him mikey not oh. him Hem. No, whatever my grandma's favorite hem was, we we sang it at my we sang that hem at my grandma's funeral. <laughs> the balloon hem. A balloon hem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the one that talks about the movie Up. Yeah. It's also even though it is a tube dress, it's not a straight across, and it's not a sweetheart. Yes. It's the neckline goes upward. Yes. It's like one large scallop, like a scallop dress. I love scallops. And it's it's <laughs> beautiful. It's very yes. beautiful. It, it caught my eye last time I was watching it too, where I was like, what is this? Like, it's like a very slight hill that hides cleavage, but highlights like her shoulder and like clavicle. I don't like this. Go, let's go forward. Oh my oh. God. Do you, think, do you ever oh. want women to listen to you? No. I'm embarrassed for you guys right now. I didn't stop you from speaking. Yeah, Todd. I dare no, you. Hey, no. Now, I made a joke so it was accessible to listeners who don't understand what is being said. My God, are you explaining humor and comedy right now? (laughs) No, I'm just saying that I was going to let you guys talk as long as you wanted because I was into it. Thank you. I'm not the one who rudely cut you off. I need, I need, I need Mike and Todd. Can you guys just get on, like, get a little Slack channel and get work out your wiggles over there so me and Paige can continue? Yeah, can you create a breakout room for this Zoom? So we can finish talking about this dress and her manicure because it's clearly a transformational moment for her in the film. This is a, yeah, this is a podcast about rom-coms. Women are listening. We can talk about him, the entire thing, if we want to. Mike? Yeah, Mike. Let's talk about him, H-I-M. He's wearing a suit. It looks fine. And I I thought it was a really interesting choice that she goes very 
maroon for both eyeshadow, lips, and dress, but then for manicure and shoes goes like a classic red, Mm -hmm. which typically you would not mix reds that way, but she does and it works and her coat is amazing. Yeah, I love it. She does look very pretty. Good job. Excellent commentary, Mikey. We're so glad we got the male perspective covered. Was she pretty, Todd? She, she, uh, oh, you got oh, Cher's oh, great. No. I love Cher. She's not, she is not my type, but I do think she looks amazing. <laughs> this was Man. very much a moment for you to lie. This was the time. Why would I lie? I just want to be honest with my friends. You don't have to be somebody's type to be able to just recognize that they're pretty. I lie to my friends every day. There you go. Like when you say you're going to be here at four. 100%. He was busy being a hero. I guess it was for my time. It was nobody else's time. The best part to me is when she, we're now at the arrival at the Met, right? Yes. He's standing by the fountain in a tux, looking vaguely bewildered. Just His hair looks good, though. I think he looks good in that tux. And he's, I mean, for yeah, 80s yeah. stuff. Yeah. No, I, I'm not saying that the tux makes him look bewildered. I'm saying the man himself. Is, yes. is, he's looking He's looking through the crowd. He at some point just looks up at the sky like maybe she's parachuting down. Nobody's quite <laughs> right. sure. He obviously is not good with crowds. I mean, we, we, I mean, I just I just gave that to him. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's it's not his natural habitat. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a bakery or in in the bathroom at the Met, but not out by the fountain. It's not even a bakery. It's the basement of the bakery and like the bowels <laughs> of the bakery. Yes. It's where his home is. It's the hell mouth of Manhattan <laughs> or here. And she gets out of a car and is walking in a very straight line right to him yeah and it is not hard to spot her and yet it's like he is desperately trying to find anyone but her yeah like spins in circles so this is my favorite part where it's just like the meat cute is happening but they couldn't find out a way to remedy the amount of space between the street and the fountain Mm -hmm. and they were like what if he just doesn't notice can't see her (laughs) for a real long time until she's five feet away (laughs) yeah so great so and she gets there and he's like, you look beautiful. And she says, I have my hair done. And she says, you look beautiful, too. Mm-hmm. And he then goes in to try and kiss her. And she says, hey, I said, I'll go to the opera, but that's it. But I mean, he's taking her to La Boheme. So like he knows something else is going to happen tonight. Well, but she I mean, they had a very explicit contract, which was if I go to the opera with you, you leave my life forever. Right. And he said, OK, oh, yep. yeah. I just want the two things I love in this world on the same night, the opera and you. Yeah, I like that line. Me too. Yeah, I did too. And he wins her over over the course of the night. Yeah. Well, and I, I really like the next one, which is thank you for your hair and your dress. And thank you. Just like, thank you for coming with me. It's been a long time. Yeah. I like that he does like thank her for like putting effort into the evening, Mm -hmm. even though it's just like a one time thing. Wink, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and if it is a one time thing, he's like, thank you for he's sort of saying, like, thank you for recognizing the magnitude of what this night is for me. That's sort of what I mean. Yeah. I think he's recognizing that she put effort in and he wants to acknowledge that and thank her for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. And recognizing that this is like, a piece of him as a person. Like right. what's happening here is not just a night where she dressed up and looked nice. It, it was, it's him. It's like his heart on his, on, in his hand type thing. Yeah. yeah. So as we go inside, we do see that her dad and the mistress are there. The opera starts. Meanwhile, her mom goes to a restaurant alone. And this is where she witnesses the professor get dumped once again. And she invites him to come over to her table so that she doesn't have dinner alone she has someone to talk to. And he is visibly younger than her. Oh, yeah. In this situation. So he's dumped. He's dumped by a woman way too young for him. 
and then comes over to a table to a woman much older than him in the same evening. Yeah. And she then starts her line of questioning that we will see her ask every other man she encounters for the rest of the movie, which is basically why do men chase women? Is it because they fear death? Like, what is it? And he goes into this monologue of like, essentially, he enjoys the idea of being new and exciting to someone. Yeah. Which essentially, for me, says it's like, he's only interested in the beginning parts of the relationship, not the part where you build and get to know someone. He's enchanted by the early days and not the hard work part. Yeah. He wants somebody who, again, is never going to look at him and see him. Yeah. In the same way that he is just afraid of ending up having to look and see himself. Right. Like he wants to be in that phase of creation as well. Yeah. Forever. Absolutely. We cut back to the opera where it is now intermission. We go into the powder room where this is where we see the mistress literally contouring her tits in the mirror. And I was just like, girl, work. Like a 60 year old woman in a pink satin halter dress. Love it. Pixie cut, contouring her titties. Just she knows who she is. Yeah. And God bless her. Yeah. Anyway, so contoured boobs and we cut to them going back to their respective dates. Now, Nick Cage does end up next to her dad at the bar, but he doesn't know who he is. Um, but when they kind of reach each other, so she rejoins Nicholas Cage is telling her about the art at the Met because he even though he does seem to be this like sweaty brute guy, he loves opera. He knows about the Met. He knows about all this stuff. He's not dumb. He, it's just, you know, she caught him at a rough time in his life. And now she's un, like peeling the layers back. Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, one thing that this entire movie about is like unbridled passion, like the passion yeah. that you experience through heartbreak and love. What if it's right at the top of the surface and is a person incarnate and then it's Nick Cage? Yeah. Um, but also we see her her dad and the mistress and the mistress like you haven't once said you liked my dress. And he just says it's very bright. <laughs> it's like. I don't think he likes that dress. <laughs> it's almost like he looks down at the dress, observing it for the first time, and then pulls out anything he can say about it. Because there's almost like this pause where he's like, it looks bright. Well, it's this moment that like every man who is using a woman for some reason that's like outrunning their own truth gets to a point where that woman just annoys them deeply. Mm -hmm. And it's like he's hitting this moment where he's like, it's very bright, a.k.a. you are very bright, annoying like taking like stand you know drawing all of this attention like yeah he's like projecting this annoyance onto her for existing when he is the person that insisted she exists yep meanwhile mom and the professor are walking home from the restaurant and they're having a very interesting conversation just about life everything mm -hmm. they look up at the moon and then she runs into her father-in-law walking his sled team of dogs. And the professor is very much flirting with her. This Like, he's yes. got it in his head. He's yeah. going home with her tonight. Oh, like, he's he's going to score for sure. And I think yeah. I like this because it does show that, like, even though she is older, she is a sexual being and, like, can pull if she wants to, you know? She just doesn't. Yeah, it's also showing the juxtaposition of what he thinks he wants versus what he probably needs. Yeah. When he's like dating these younger women. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. And he's, da he's dating these younger women and then she looks at him and, and she's like, these women aren't crazy. He says, my friend has a personality disorder to explain this woman throwing her drink in his face. Mm. Very good joke, buddy. And she <laughs> says, she's just too young for you. Yeah. Yeah. Like immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, what? That that hurts. How old are you? And she says, none of your business. And he says, I'm sorry. And then he like walks it back and starts. And she says something at one point that's like what you don't know about women. And he's like, oh, my God. I So he kind of gets this like wide eyed. The, the situation is sort of reversed. Like what he said, he wants to feel this admiration 
these young women looking up to him for some kind of like instill this wisdom upon me. Now he's found his sort of professor and he's kind of looking at her with this same wide eyed wonder trying to go home with her. Yeah. And then she is modeling the behavior that he should have been doing from the beginning. Yeah. Right. So they're flirting. And they run into grandpa and his pack of dogs. We <laughs> cut back to the opera where Cher, who after the first act was like, I don't know, I liked parts of it. I don't know if this is for me, but like, sure, I'm in it. This second act, we're watching her watch the opera and we see the moment where she gets it and just like tears, silent tears. And he holds her hand and kisses it. And it's basically this like, them sharing something beautiful together yeah. where she kind of finally, I think, sees him a little bit more mm -hmm. in this experience that you maybe not would not have expected from him at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And I think, too, like if correct me if I'm wrong, but in the opera, it's sort of like this moment where love has cost this person everything, mm -hmm. but it is still this beautiful story worth telling. Right. And I think she's kind of having this moment of like oh my god i have a choice yeah which is to avoid this pain forever but then to not be alive at all and so it's sort of like yeah. all kind of hitting her at the same time yeah in this opera moment and she's killing the single tear she is best actress she is amazing in this movie mm -hmm. yeah she is great they go out to the lobby where they run into her dad and mistress and she confronts her dad and is just like what the hell are you doing here and he's like what are you doing here and it's that moment of like pot calling kettle black like neither one of us can really say anything although i would say it's a little bit different for the dad who's been married for a long long time to cheat on someone as opposed to her with the person that she has known for god knows how long and is agreeing to marry even though she does not love them yeah yeah and i mean obviously the situation is different he's cheating because he it's something about himself right she's cheating because of love you know what i mean like yeah, yeah context yeah. but still it is this great moment where you're forced to think wow look at this intergenerational moment like father like daughter yeah but what happens now right like can they both break this chain or what happens next. And they see each other. They, they're kind of like pissed at each other. But then they kind of have that moment where they're like, oh, my God. Yeah. We're about to go home to the same house. Yes. And this is both of our nights. Yeah. Well, and what are we going to do? Because now they both know. So you have to make a decision. Who are you staying with, basically? Who are you going to choose? Um, and so she and Nicolas Cage go out for a drink, which was not part of the original contract. So she's already dipping her toe into like, maybe this is more than the opera. And then as they're walking home, it turns out that he's walking basically her to his house. Yeah. But as that's happening, her mom is walking to her house with the professor. And this is where she basically is like, I'm not going to invite you in because I know who I am and you're a little boy. Like, mm -hmm. you are not what I need or want. I'm married. I'm too old for you. And good night. Bye. It's great. Like, I am self-assured. I know who I am. Yeah. And I don't need you. And it's this like aerial shot after that where she's ascending the steps and he's standing on this street corner. Yeah. Like this crossroads, such a visible symbol. And he's just left kind of not knowing what to do himself with himself in the night and then eventually just turns and walks out of the shot. Yeah. And like out of the frame. And you're just like her literally just saying, it's not because I'm married. It's not because this it's because I know who I am and I don't need you to do that. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, my God. It's almost like you don't even interest me really all that much. Like I'm not in this at all. Well, and I think for the first time we're seeing a character who's like, I don't need another person to validate to my own existence. Yes. yes. Yeah. To contextualize who I am. I already know it. Yeah. And that's what all these people have been doing across the movie. Yeah. Well, and I think there's also this element of in her saying, 
I know who I am and I don't need you. It reveals how little he knows who he is. Exactly. The things that he's this man who's older, he's a professor. He's chasing relevancy. He fears being irrelevant, forgettable, dismissible. He fears all of like, you know, laughable. He's got these young women that fawn over him, but he's like clearly misogynistic because they can't hold equal space to him because mm-hmm. he needs to feel important. He's got this he's got such a such a deep insecurity around his like power and position in the world. And then she literally just looks at him and is like she essentially uses like eye language and models like what he's seeking by saying like, I don't need this, aka you don't need this. And this moment of recognition of like, oh, I am a person, no matter how other people react or respond to me is a way that you can just be in the world. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of sinks in. And he just kind of walks off with that lesson with no violent response, no response of anger, the way we see a lot of the times when there's conversation around men's power that doesn't go the way they want. It's just such a good scene where it's like she's speaking to so many men in the world when she's speaking to just that man. I do fear that just that man in the scene walks off and misses that point completely like most of the men who would be confronted with that message. He might get it and just still do it. Like he might just make that choice. Like I think Mm -hmm. I think that's fair, too. Yeah. His reeks of loneliness and boredom and taking advantage of where he can take advantage and all of that. I mean, it really is just immaturity and like a truly arrested development, though. Mm -hmm. Like he is just not able to go past like dating 20 to 25 year olds because that's where he is mentally, really, even though he's clearly like 45. Like I think also it's probably one of those moments where he's like, oh, this is the first time anybody's ever told me the truth. And now I know it. Yeah. And he can't unknow it, but he will continue to do that behavior because nobody else will stop him. Right. And it's still it's better than the pain of change once you have the onus to do so yeah so you know he'll carry on until it hurts too much and then someday maybe he'll change or he'll die that way yeah yeah what do you do but we cut back to nicholas cage and share in front of his apartment because now they've arrived back at his apartment yeah he confronts her where he's like why do you want to marry my brother and this is the conversation of like you waited for the right guy why aren't you still because i'm here and she says you're late yeah it's brutal but it's so good well because he's like i'm but i'm here yeah it's this back and forth well and they have these amazing individual speeches where she's sort of like i tried like love is not this fairy tale i'm not i i need to have something this is my life i can't wait forever mm-hmm. and then he has this amazing speech where he says he's like love it's supposed to be messy we're supposed to fall in love and fall in love with the wrong people and break our hearts and that's the point i liked this one this is my favorite monologue yeah. of like love's mm-hmm. not supposed to fix everything. Yeah. It just makes everything messier and you care more. Yeah. But that's the but he's kind of like his argument is like, don't you want to live at all? This is life. Is yeah. Mm-hmm. You fall in love with the wrong people and it hurts and it's awful and you lose your hand and you break <laughs> your heart. And then he's like, but and then he holds his freaking hand out in this amazing scene where it's just like winter in New York is the frame. It's an empty street somewhere <laughs> in Brooklyn. And just his one gloved weird hand enters from the side and just lingers for two. Like, But it's like the intimacy of him offering her the maimed hand versus and yeah. her taking it. Yeah, it is literally him leading with his like biggest vulnerability and her yeah. not only accepting that, but like yeah. showing that she is ready to take this step like, with him. It. Yeah. yeah, like I mm-hmm. fucking loved that, and I did at first have the reaction of, "Did we just get a close-up shot of just the hand?" But yeah. when she reaches out and grabs it, I was like, "Oh, that's actually very sweet. I love this moment." Mm-hmm. But at first, I started like chuckling to myself. 
Well, I think the hand's her thing. She's like really into the hand. Oh, she can't wait to get spruced up, Mikey. (laughs) Dude, but I think this is like also the beauty of what this movie does. Like when I watched Everything Everywhere All at Once, I was like, they use surrealism as a tool to like open a new part of your mind to then deliver a message you've heard a million times, but it lands differently. Like Mm -hmm. just a mother and a daughter in a parking lot talking about love. And in this movie, I'm like, they use this very niche, bizarre, oddball humor where you're like, watching this weird maimed hand for one second too long and so your brain leaves like rom-com land and opens like what am i seeing here and then one second later <laughs> is this the symbolism we just talked about oh, and yeah. then it like lands in a kind of a different part of your chest and you're like oh my god yeah maybe that is what all life is about there are moments in this movie that like made me cry and that felt embarrassing because of some of the other moments in this movie like but that's life i know but it, it right. takes like right. these crazy like wild swings right and can be hyper silly and just way out there but also like in other moments can be like super heartfelt and like very like Right. Holy shit, I never thought of it that way. Or like you have those mm-hmm. like moments with it, which makes it like a very interesting but enjoyable movie to watch. Yeah, but and that's the beauty of it is that the viewer's experience is mirroring life. Yeah. Of just like, oh my God, these things come out of nowhere. One second I'm laughing because this is so absurd. And the next second I'm just wrecking balled with grief. And the next second I'm in this like crazy love that feels impossible. And the next second I'm having a mundane moment in my home. With my and it it does that in this way where it's like you're it, you're watching it, you're hearing about it, you're thinking about it, and you're experiencing it on this level. I just fucking love this movie. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna man. argue about it forever. It's <laughs> amazing. And literally, no sooner does she go upstairs because he literally like she accepts that hand, which also he believed initially that like that's why someone left him, and so for someone to actively choose the hand mm-hmm. also has a lot of weight. But they go upstairs. No sooner do they that. Johnny's plane lands and he forgets his suitcases multiple times on his way to his multiple errands that evening. Johnny is charmingly the worst. Like, I sort of (laughs) hate him, but I don't know exactly why. He's not maliciously the worst in any way. Yeah. He's just sort of like a bumbling weirdo who's not aware of his bumblingness he's like a bumbling mama's boy this is getting too close to home for me (laughs) (laughs) he like takes himself very serious like he sees himself as a very serious person meanwhile he is sort of the strange comic relief and he doesn't realize that yeah so yes he loses he leaves his suitcase on the curb he leaves his suitcase in the cab he finally gets up to loretta's house where her mother is awake right and is the only one home well because both Loretta and her husband are at the opera with the people they're cheating on. Right. These two people who are now at the house. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And he's come straight from the airport because he has to speak to Loretta. And we don't know what happened with his mother. We don't know anything. He's just here with an urgent message. And so it ends up just the two of them sitting in their sitting room. Yeah. The mom has just come off of this long. Weird day. Weird dinner yeah. and and walk with this other man where she's a, she's again asking herself, why is my husband cheating on me? What is the point of love? She's just rejected the chance 
to fuck, you know, a veritable hottie. It's a silver fox. Yeah, yeah. I think she thought about it. Of like, this would this make me feel better? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now here's Johnny Camareri sitting in her living room while her engaged to her daughter while she knows her daughter is off with his brother. Right. And she knows her husband is off with his mistress. And so she starts again this line of questioning, like you said, yeah. that she's been asking every man. And every man that she's asked has been like, we like the chase. We like this. We like that. And in the last one, she was like, I think men do this because they fear death. And that professor was kind of like, eh. And then she finally asked Johnny, who is, again, this clown. He's like, yeah, this person that you don't take seriously. And he says, it's because we fear death. Yeah, that's his answer. And she points- he's the one person vulnerable about it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he and, and it's because he almost like doesn't know that it's a thing to protect. Like he's so deeply and easily confused. But he yes. has these moments where he's so because he's like unaware, he doesn't have that feeling of like, oh, I need to protect this shame. He has no shame. And so she <laughs> yeah. asked this question. And she points at him and says, yes, that's it. And at that moment, her husband walks through the door and comes home. Yeah. Cosmo comes home and he's standing. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Pin in this. One of my favorite lines that we did not mention is when she first tells her dad that she's marrying Johnny Camareri. And he says, Johnny Camareri, I don't like him. His lips are too small. When he smiles, I can't see his teeth. What is he hiding? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now they're standing in the living room and it's Cosmo, Johnny Camareri, who he hates and can't trust him because his teeth disappear and his wife. Right. And he's like, what does he say to him? He says, don't go on any long vacations. And he's like, I don't know what you mean by that. And he says, yeah, that's all I'm saying. And he goes, I don't understand what you're saying. And he's like, that's all I said. That's all I said. I'll say no more. Yeah, I'll say no more. Yeah, you're like, well, okay. But like, I didn't understand any of that shit. And also, I didn't understand any of that shit. It was so good. And then he, because he's come off, like he's literally come home from the up where he just saw his daughter cheating on this man who's now standing in his living room. And he's like, bro, you got to get your eyes up. So that he turns to go to bed and his wife goes, Cosmo, I just want to tell you that you're going to die someday no matter what, like everybody else. And he just stares at her and goes, thank you, Rose. (laughs) And then says, I'm going to go to bed. There's no way I wouldn't think had I returned home under those circumstances. (laughs) That she's going to murder me. And she said that to me, that I was living through that night. I also think, like, he cheats because of that reason. I think there's probably a variety of reasons. So I think it is good to poll everybody that you know. Why not? But she, she's got this deep theory of like, what is the fucking point of men harpooning their own lives when their lives have been good? Like, what are they possibly getting from this? I love her theory. So he goes upstairs. And at this point, I think we can see Cosmos, like the band-aids he's patched on the leaky pipes, if you will, are starting to leak. Yeah. And he has not used the copper pipes in his own life. No. And he's realizing he's got a massive renovation ahead and he's starting to wear, wear really thin. So he goes up to bed. And then what happens at that point? We cut to the next morning where this uh-huh. is where Cher gets her moment of kicking cans that's shot beautifully. Yeah. It's so good. With the swell of the music, without any dialogue or anything, you perfectly understand that moment. Yeah. And, and what she's feeling and conveying. It's so good. She's she's left his house and it's so early. It's got to be like 536. It's got to be. There's no well, one on the streets. It's, it's winter. So the sun is just rising. You can tell you can like feel the cold morning. You can see there's like water, you know, she's walking down the street and we're in his apartment for a split second. And he like stands over his record player and he plays La Bo- the the big song from La Boheme mm-hmm. and it starts to swell. And then we cut right back to her. And that song that's playing in his apartment that he's listening to is the background to her having this moment where she's walking home yeah. in this way that it's like she's finally herself and she's walking home to go like choose this life on purpose. 
and it's so good. She's literally kicking a can down the road in heels. Yeah, this is the scene where I literally wrote in my notes, I low-key fucking love this movie. It's mm-hmm. great. But So she gets to the her house, and her mom is just like, yo, what's up? Your life is fucked. Johnny was here last night because he's back from Italy. He's going to come this morning. Heads up. You're going to have to confront all of this. He's not the only one who's coming this morning. (laughs) Another one of the great lines in this. She comes home and her mom is like, are you drunk? And she goes, no, are you drunk? And she goes, no, I'm hungover. And she's cooking breakfast and she sits down and she's like, you've got a love mark on your neck. Johnny Camilleri coming over and she goes, Loretta, your life is going down the toilet. And then she goes, cover that up. And she's like, okay, okay. And they're like screaming at each other in this way that only Italian families can. Yeah. And so it's like, this is, this is the beginning of this swirling, chaotic domino effect scene. I love this final scene. It's, it's my favorite. Yeah. It's so great. It's where all of your problems are coming home. Yes. Yes. We just gradually add people to the scene. It's a lot like a play. It does feel like the final scene in a play. Play. Yeah, well, we're gonna bring all this, all the actors on stage, and they are gonna literally kick down every can that we set up earlier. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And we're all gonna do it together. Yep. But so they they think Johnny's gonna show up. No, uh, Ronnie shows up. Yeah. Okay. Do you want oatmeal? Uh, then Cosmo comes downstairs. Great. So now we're here. Uh, Grandpa's like that. Okay. Uh, everyone's kind of on board for like, okay, so Johnny's coming. What are we going to do? Who's this guy? Well, and and Ronnie shows up and he's like, yeah. Uh, and she's like, mom, go get the door. And her mom's like, no. And she goes, mother. And she's going to try to cover up her, her hickey. Right. Her love bite as the mom calls it. Yeah. <laughs> her mom opens the door and he goes, I'm Ronnie Camarari. And she's like, come in. And so Ronnie's there. And then <laughs> and he's got hickeys too. <laughs> yeah. Loretta comes back downstairs and she's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm here to meet the family. And she's like, you can't be here. Johnny Camarari's on his way over right now. And then there's a knock at the door and it's. Uh, it's the aunt and uncle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not expecting that to go. Over. And at this point, I think Cosmo has come downstairs, the dad and, yes. the, and the grandpa, like you mentioned. Yes. So everybody's like getting coffee, getting food, starting to settle around this little table. At this point, there's no more seats like the, the aunt and uncle are starting to stand. Yeah. Yes, they're just standing off to the side. <laughs> yeah, and which character is it that comes in and is like, what are we doing? It's it's the aunt and uncle because they come to ask about the deposit. She gives it to them and they're like, oh, thank God she didn't steal from us. Uh, and then they just stand off to the side. They're like, so what are we all doing here? <laughs> which is probably one of my favorite lines in the scene because they clearly are just like something's going down and they're just like breakfast great well and right before they get there i think is when Cher's mother like confronts her husband about the cheating and says you have to stop seeing her so they like walk into that energy i think it's right i think it's right that's right before johnny camarari gets there because the table is full Oh, okay, so yeah. they're there for it then, because then then it's just yeah. about to happen. Yeah, okay. Oh, no, it is. So in my notes, it is right before. I thought so. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it is immediately before where they're all sitting there. Cosmo comes down, and everyone is there that we think is probably going to end up in this scene except for Johnny, right? right. We aren't expecting the end, Uncle. Yeah. But this is where she says, have I been a good wife? I want you to stop seeing her. The slam on the table okay and they're like what a crazy day how could this get any weirder and then the aunt and uncle show up but they thought it was johnny yeah because they were all kind of bracing for johnny again i just love that they're sitting across this head of this table and in the middle of the table is the the daughter that they had and that they raised the symbol of their entire marriage their father her situation that like this is such a parallel to what's going on kind of with them and she says out of nowhere have i been a good wife to you and he has no answer you know he has to say yes 
And mm-hmm. she says, I want you to stop seeing her. He has this instant reaction of anger, slams the table, stands up. Nobody even flinches. Yeah. And then he sits back down and says, okay. And then she says, ti amo. And he says, ti amo. And it's like this moment of like acknowledging like none of that external crap, no contouring of boobs, all of this stuff. <laughs> you can hold a candle to what we have lived together and can say to each other with just ti amo. Like it was, it was very, I really, really liked this kind of portrait of a love that had been so long and obviously had had problems, but this just immediate choice to be like, it's going to be us, obviously. Yeah. We choose love. You know what I mean? I really like yeah. that a lot. I like it too. It's a really yeah. sweet scene. And Cher's mom, like, there's so much emotion in, like, her face mm-hmm. here. She does such a good job in this scene. And then it, like, mm-hmm. immediately switches back to, like, this very sort of comical premise for a scene. Mm-hmm. And, like, more funny bits happening. It's it's a very interesting dynamic for it to go yeah. in this scene. I think her composure during that scene yeah. is very much proof of what she has stated about herself when she says to that guy, I'm I'm not sleeping with you because I know who I am. And then she says to her husband, I'm unaffected. Like your affair with this other woman has not made me reconsider my value. Right. It has made me reconsider you and what you're afraid of. Yeah. But it yeah. But it does not reflect like she has not taken that to heart about I'm not enough. He doesn't love me. There's never been a moment like that. And so she is still choosing. I know who I am. I know my husband. I know the life I've chosen. I have know the life we've built and I'm choosing it again. And it's just this very, I feel like, lovely and kind of rare portrait of um, like grace, yeah. maybe, and forgiveness within this context. I just loved it. Anyway. So, yes. Then back to the silly in an instant. Yeah, it's great. Because the aunt and uncle show up and again, it's this whirlwind and it's like, what are we, what are we doing? Breakfast? And then literally immediately after that, we get the weird shot of the glove where everyone at the table notices the glove and no one says anything about it. I loved it. Which is so good. It's like so symbolic of like everybody here is noticing that this man has been through shit and there's something a little off about him, but He's here and he's part of the family and yeah. who doesn't have a very weird glove in a way. Right, exactly. You know? <laughs> and then who should show up but Johnny. And of course, Johnny runs in and is just like, I can't marry you because my mother will die. Because as soon as she found out, like, then she got better. But if I'm marrying you, then it's going to kill her. I told her we were engaged. She sprung up from her deathbed and started cooking for everybody there. And she ate a meal that was like three pigs top to bottom is like what he says. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> He's like, she's she's hearty again. And I can't marry you because then she'll die. He's made this connection in his head yeah he's an idiot it's it's weird but it's also the same plot of a Nicolas cage movie we did two to three movies ago i mean he's done every movie that's like is there a plot that nick cage hasn't touched i don't know no of course not <laughs> but because they're not getting married obviously now ronnie asks her although whoa, i do whoa, like whoa. that Cher fights it for like how dare you not marry me right he says literally we can't get married and she's like what do you mean we can't get married we're engaged you made a promise and Ronnie's like, what? And she's like, no, he proposed to me. Like, we just got an out. Like, what are you talking about? He made a promise. And she's like, you gave me a ring. And he's like, I'm going to need that ring back. And so she takes <laughs> off the stinky ring, gives it to him. She throws it at him and it hits the floor. Which... Yeah, she throws it and he goes to collect it. And then Ronnie says, Loretta, will you marry me? And she immediately says, where's the ring? And Johnny's yes. standing there with the ring. No, he's kneeling. So Johnny's on his knees again. Yeah. And he's handing it to Ronnie, who then gives it to Cher. Yeah. His brother looks at him and says, can I borrow that ring? Yeah. And then he answers it. And then he proposes with the same. And I'm like. Love it. I just. No notes on this. this. Yeah. Yep. No, no. Yes. It's so good. But 
they do kiss and this is where her mom is like do you love him i love him awful that's too bad Yeah, that's a shame and then the grandpa's crying and he's like i'm just so confused yeah he had his proclamation at one point in this scene as well the grandpa had his moment where he was like cosmo you need to pay for the wedding yeah 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 he said you break your house with pride yeah and this was this was right before of course rose said stop seeing her yeah and so yeah. cosmo's confronted immediately with his biggest character flaws and that's when he just accepts it so now we're we're back to and then the grandpa's crying because oh my god we got engaged it's this whole thing and somebody's who is it that's like you okay pop and he goes i'm just so confused, so confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also i love that they're like including johnny in this and johnny's confused too where he's like what's happening? yeah wait so she's marrying what's happening the whole family around this table is like kind of cheersing and and patting each other on the back and johnny camarari is still off to the side where he kind of was on his knees to pick up this ring and it's the grandpa who we've seen kind of in this whole movie have this separation from the rest of the family because he's clearly old world Italian. Yeah. And like is very separated in a lot of ways, but is trying. And the grandpa goes over to him and says, come on, your family, yeah. your brother's marrying and so still Johnny Camareri is marrying into this family, even though he's not marrying Loretta. Right. He's like cheersing them getting engaged, really. Mm -hmm. So we do get one more shot of the dogs. We pan the house and then we end on what look like real family photos. Yeah. One of them specifically looks like my mom and my aunt, like <laughs> a specific photo we have in our house. It was wild. Uh, but that's the end of the movie yeah. moonstruck yeah so having seen the movie having talked about the movie what'd you guys think about moonstruck love it well really we didn't have enough of like the hymns we didn't get to see the good hymns <laughs> enough <laughs> i liked it i'm so glad we we watched it today i liked it i liked the nicholas cage retrospective that i'm making you guys do with me yes <laughs> i loved this one I love it. And like I said, I think Nicolas Cage can give you pretty much anything you want in terms of performance. And I think he's proved like he got snubbed on Pig. It should have been nominated for Best Picture. It was nominated by every other nominating body that exists besides the Academy Awards. But he like this is like one of his first ever big movies. And so you're seeing him like in this pure, weird little way. And he like maintains that throughout all of these films, but even when he's being like a freaking idiot action ghostwriter star knowing that this is also in the back pocket like i just i i think that this movie is the best blend of his absolutely unhinged brand and his like earnestness that he can deliver yeah i would agree 100 percent. and i think he's the perfect person to encapsulate sort of what they were trying to make that character which is like the wild animal that is in us and like how does the how do you get the wolf to stop pacing and like that is sort of what he does in this movie and i just i love him for it yeah but Paige, do you have any fun facts for us i do well here it is with your fun facts nick cage fun, fun facts. facts okay okay so why didn't you guys like prep me about being a part of a jingle well i missed it too and i'm on the podcast mikey doesn't listen <laughs> and or pay attention when we record yeah i i would have been all i've always wanted to be a part of a jingle maybe one day you'll be a part of one <laughs> yeah maybe yeah i'd love to be part of one someday that's exactly the joke i was referencing thank you yeah i know all right so nick cage when he originally screen tested for this movie did not impress the studio they didn't want to cast him but Cher felt like he was the right one to play the role and threatened to quit unless he was no hired shit. and so after a few days the studio relented which honestly 
good choice. She knew somehow yeah. that he was the right one for the role. Like, imagine anybody else doing those scenes, saying those lines, and us not being like, Cher, that's a serial killer. You're about to get murdered in that closet. Anyone else? Never. I still had some of those thoughts, but that's, you know, but I like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, we have to talk a little bit about the director of this film. Tell me. Because he truly shapes what this film is, and I would say that he has a track record of shaping films that have context within a familial and cultural community. Mm. So Norman Jewison directed this. No shit. Yeah, exactly, Todd. One of his other most famous directing jobs was Fiddler on the Roof, the movie. Wow. Well, he also did it in like in the heat of the night. Yes. I think he also did Jesus Christ Superstar. Like, yeah. He did. But as far as like relating to this one, although this he says this is his favorite of all the films he's directed. Oh yeah. Good for him. For me, like Fiddler is one of those movies where if it is on, I sit and watch it. Like regardless. For sure. Well, one of the things that's so impactful about that movie is how much it personalizes every single character in the movie and gives you a true view into their wants and needs and thoughts. They are so three-dimensional, it makes you care for them. And I feel like he brings that touch to this movie too. Because even Olympia Dukakis, who technically only has five scenes in this movie, basically. What? And yet you care so much about her. Yeah. And I think part of that is his touch on this film. Now, also, he was fined by SAG <laughs> for not allowing his actors to go to lunch until they perfected the moods of their characters for the climax scene in the kitchen. What? So apparently... Okay. They rehearsed that all morning and he wouldn't let them go to lunch until they had it and then they shot it. So, okay. I mean, you have to, you can't break labor laws, but also, yes, I feel like he was. I mean, they're all supposed to be at a point of like near volcanic eruption. If I've been working all morning and there's this smell of toast cooking from the prop team and you're not letting me eat that. <laughs> Terrible. I also will be prepared to scream at Johnny Camareri when he doesn't want to marry me, even though I wasn't going to marry him. Of course. <laughs> so the opening title sequence originally featured the La Boheme opera that then plays throughout the rest of the movie. Uh, but it tested really bad in early screenings. Really? Where people then thought it was an art film, not a comedy. So mm -hmm. then they changed it to That's Amore to try and set the tone better at the beginning of the movie. I mean, oh, it does set the tone better for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, according to the casting director, they had originally wanted Anne Bancroft or Maureen Stapleton to play Cher's mom in this film. Now... I do think Anne Bancroft would have been fucking oh, amazing. for sure, yeah. As a, as a card-carrying graduate fan. Um, however, their fees were too high. They couldn't afford either of them. So Olympia Dukakis came in and read for Norman Jewison, and he hired her on the spot. Yeah. It was just like, uh, you're right for this. And she does crush it. Yeah, and she and Cher, because they were only like 12 or 15 years apart, uh, they kind of became friends on set. And Cher told her the entire time on set, she was like, I think this movie's going to be bad. I don't think <laughs> I'm doing well. Oh, what? And then, of course, they go on to win the Oscar and the Golden Globe. <laughs> Damn, because she is crushing it this whole movie. Oh, also, so I have a note here. It's actually Charles and Catherine Scorsese, not Martin. So it's Martin's parents what? are the customers uh, in the bakery. Okay. Yeah. Now, that line, snap out of it, where she slaps him twice, that's yeah. voted number 96 
on the top 100 American movie quotes by the AFI Film Institute. So I would say that's one of the least memorable lines. I feel like there are way better lines in the movie, yes. but that's the one that when I saw it, I was like, I have seen this in montages before. Mm hmm. Originally, instead of Nicolas Cage, because remember, he was kind of fighting for the role, they wanted to hire Peter Gallagher, King of Eyebrows himself. Really? Yes. Okay. But again, Cher fought and she won. Um, the baby pictures at the end are actual baby photos of Cher from her private collection. And those Beautiful. are your fun facts. Really awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, Paige, thank you for those fun facts. Let's talk a little bit about box office. What do you think the production budget was for Moonstruck in 1987? Three. Five million. Paige, you want to guess? Uh, 1987, I'm going to say is 1.5 million. Guys, the budget was $15 million. Yeah. Damn. Big budget. <laughs> that is big for the time. It is. Yeah. And if you adjust it for inflation to today's dollars, that's like $40.6 million today. Yeah. Now, this movie came out on January 15th, 1988, and it was number three in the box office the week it came out. It was beat by Good Morning Vietnam. Three Men and a Baby was number two. Number three was, of course, Moonstruck. Number four was Four Keeps. And number five was Return of the Living Dead Part Two. Nice. But what do you think it made in its opening weekend? Opening weekend at third, I'm going to say six million. Okay. Ten. Do you want to venture a guess? I said ten. Not you. No. Oh. No, I have no context for this. Let's see. I'm, I'm going to throw one out there, though, because I hate not playing. Um, <laughs> 4.8 mil. Okay. Um, I think you might be the closest. Because yeah. it's $5 million in the opening Wait, weekend. Wait, I said yeah. six. I know. She said oh, 4.8. 4. 8. Sorry. She was 0.2 closer. Yeah. I literally pictured something in my chest, like connecting to time and place and taking me back there. And that's the number I came up with. And you can't nice. tell me that wasn't Cher speaking directly to me. I think it was Cher <laughs> speaking directly to you. I'm not going to argue. Uh, but yeah, so $5 million in the opening weekend. Get this. For the first four weeks, it was third at the box office. It was actually never higher than third, but for the first month it was in theaters, it was third. Wow. And then it dropped to fifth and then back up to third. It had a wild ride. It was in the theaters for 26 weeks total, and in its seconds to last week in the theaters, it popped back into the top ten at night and then one more week it was i think it was 12th and then it was gone from the theaters i just that's like a testament to one of those things where it's like how do you describe this how do you put this in a trailer nobody knows what it is but then people go to watch it and it's like word of mouth yes yeah yeah same thing with mm -hmm. princess bride was the same way mm -hmm. uh so what do you think it made overall at the box office and we'll go ahead and call this worldwide because it didn't get an international release 47 million okay oh, i'm gonna go 22 okay Hold on, let me ask Cher. Give me a second. Right, I have to open in. my chest tune up to in. the universe. I don't need your sympathy. Do you believe in magic? I think. Are you singing a McDonald's song? I really don't think that's any of your business, Todd. That's okay. between me and Cher. Okay, that's fair. Um, I think it was 37.2 okay. million. I am so happy to report that you guys are way too low. It made... Oh. 80.6 million dollars ah. good for it on a at the time 15 million dollar budget right that's, that's really good if you adjust that 80 million dollars to today's dollars that's roughly 218.4 million dollars today this movie made money yeah good for them anyway that's your box office all right so this week mikey you made us watch moonstruck 
Made is a strong word. I think Mike offered you the pleasure of watching oh, Moonstruck. Oh, and listen, but, okay. I enjoyed every second of it. But it's my pick next week, and I would love to revisit a movie I think I saw as a child in the 90s. And I remember it being just, like, weird, and I didn't really understand what was going on, but there was, like, a lot of bright colors and stuff. So I'm going to make you guys watch the Matthew Perry Selma Hayek movie Fools Rush In So that's your homework for next week Get on Amazon Prime or whatever And watch Fools Rush In But Devra Oh Southern Thank you so much for guesting On this episode You were a consummate delight Oh my god Well thank you for having yeah, me thank I, you for um, coming Dude if, if anybody wants to start a podcast <laughs> You guys only have what three? I've got three. Yeah. yeah. Just a titular podcast. It's just my name. Who knows what we talk about? Just how many <laughs> accents can we say my name in? Well, until you do start a podcast, can you tell our listeners where they can get more of you and perhaps maybe the book oh. you've written? Well, yeah, that's a that's a really good start. I wrote a book called You're Going to Die Alone and Other Excellent News. Uh, it came out last week. I'm desperate for sales. So please hear this authentically. <laughs> Paige has one. Like literally have a held it up before we started recording. Yeah, it's um, it's a series of vignettes and silly tales. It's funny storytelling. It, it starts with humor, finishes with heart. It asks the question of, of is there ever a point where you can't change? Um, is change a friend or a foe? Can we always keep changing and that doesn't need to be scary can we let fear be a friend whose voice we listen to but don't necessarily follow like a command and like is the potential grief of love worth the risk are we talking about your book or the movie moonstruck like i could tell moonstruck really like hit you as a kid like so much art is the same i know i love it i think that's great there's also you know there's also just some like there's ranting about billionaires um as we all should poorly. be yeah like why aren't you wearing better supervillain outfits there's uh, <laughs> observations about tinder as though i was an anthropologist there's good stuff in there and it's dotted with poetry sue me i'm a poet okay sue me it's great poetry though yeah, think of the English teacher you loved and read it for her, okay? It's, it's better poetry, and it's the, um, I got one review that's coming out in a bit that pretty much was like, it's a nice palate cleanser between verbose essays. I'm like, yeah, I get it, I'm chatty. But no, they're great. <laughs> you got, it looks like you got good reviews, like the New York Post, that it's nice. Well, the New York Post was a shock, because considering what the New York Post normally does and says in its readership, <laughs> having a random white man read a chapter read a book that by the fourth chapter i'm just it's literally called we deserve better billionaires than a dude named jeff and i think the one right before it is called intimidating women and fear boners like the new york <laughs> post readers are not my target audience but he loved it now he did title his review something akin to like girl with emotional baggage was a virgin once and is doing her best okay um but you know he it was a glowing review so if i can win <laughs> him over yeah you'll love it um i also read the audiobook so if you know if you want me to just chat in your ear uh you want more of this who wouldn't you can get that <laughs> um i'm also on tiktok and instagram at devry brin which is d e v like victoria r i e b r y n n and I do normally post there every day unless I'm having a mental health crisis and then you'll see me vanish. But I'm back as of today, baby. We're back in the race. And that's where you can find me. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was a lot of fun. 
Oh, this was an absolute thrill. And I am having a parasocial relationship with all three of you. I do consider us friends. <laughs> See you soon. Amazing. I am fine with that fully. Please. Same. This yeah. is the longest I think we've ever recorded. We with have guest. been recording over four hours. <laughs> it's raised me from the depth. I posted a TikTok video today that was me sobbing over my emotional support sweet potato because she's sprouting from a forgotten produce bowl. And if she can do it, so can I. That's true. Love it. So this amount of levity in my life, amazing. I should be paying you instead of a therapist. What's your Venmo? Well, Mikey technically is a therapist. I am a licensed therapist, but not your therapist. No, I don't want to deal with your therapeutic self on a podcast about Nick Cage. Shut it down. I don't usually talk work on the podcast. He doesn't. So, Mikey, do you have a review for us to read? I absolutely fucking do. Well, Mikey, whose review are you going to read this week? Jack Gee. Well, what does Jack Gee have to say? Valley Girl, exclamation point. Hell yeah. Yay. It's been a while since you've recapped a movie that I love, ex- uh, law, all caps. Excellent choice, Mikey. Thank you. You're welcome, Valley Jackie. Sorry. <laughs> I love listening to this bunch of real-life friends. The chemistry is amazing, and I just love Todd. Wait, what? <laughs> Someone likes me? He's so sweet and hilarious. If you ever wondered if Mikey pre-read <laughs> these <laughs> reviews, now you have your answer because there's no way he would choose one that actually singles me out as being their favorite. But yep. obviously this person has excellent taste. Well, also people know that I read the reviews. So I think they put me in it more so I will pick it. And I'm here for that toxic cycle. <laughs> uh, and the last sentence is one of my faves. And I keep and I anxiously await new episodes. Keep going. Five star. Well, thank you so much, Jackie, for that awesome five star review. And if you want to have Mikey read your five star review, leave us a five star review. Now, if you want to have me read your Spotify comment, leave us a Spotify comment like... Mantros did this morning when our Princess Diaries 2 Royal Engagement episode came out. They said, great show as always, but I didn't love when Paige tried to silence Mikey from speaking truth to power. And if you haven't heard that Princess Diaries (laughs) 2 episode, it is unhinged beautiful madness so go enjoy that and mantros thank you so much for leaving us a comment so mikey do you want to hit him with that romance scale yeah let's uh, scale of one to ten how romantic it was let's just uh let's just go fast page go honestly like three i was gonna give it a three as well yeah they do have some chemistry i could have handled more sexy times you know to like build up that kind of chemistry but three's fine i'm gonna give it a five because it was okay very unhinged and but average on 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 a on the love style that's fair five would be like the average i think on the bell curve sure most of it yeah anyway that's our romance scale all right so um yeah guys if you like this power thruple that we have here on this podcast make sure to check out our other podcast the horror virgin and that is the only other podcast that mikey and i are on but Paige gets around and she is on two other podcasts Black Card Rehab and Cult Podcast. So guys, definitely check out those because they're amazing. If you want to follow us on social, we are at Romancing the Pod Show. Yes. On Instagram. And we are at something else on Twitter who I just have never taken the time to learn. It's it's just Romancing Pod Show because they have a character limit and it's show SHO like Showtime. So guys, check that out as well. And if you want to follow us all individually, Paige is at Rampage Wesley everywhere, including TikTok. 
except for Twitter, where she is at Paige Wesley. Mikey is at M Randolph 24, and I am at Todd J Awesome everywhere. And guys, we got a P.O. box. So if you want to send us some love letters or whatever you might send to a P.O. box, it's actually not a P.O. box. It's like a regular street address. It's pretty awesome. It's 6688 Nolensville Road, number 108-34, Brentwood, Tennessee, 37027. So send us some stuff. Yeah. And that's going to be it for us, you guys. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm Todd. And you complete us. Wooden hand completion. (laughs) That's like a really difficult splinter to get out. Oh, God. (laughs) Bye. Would you hand me that sandpaper, nerds? (laughs) 